look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason, to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening, man. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. Andre, what are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? You can't my cross the shirt. What's wrong with him, man? You can't leave like this. You're bleeding. Andre, come back, man. You don't have to leave like this. What is he doing? You're bleeding. Jesus. What's come, come. Come on. Welcome back to the WrestleMania podcast. I'm your host, John Stoddard, and this is episode number three, which will look at WrestleMania three. Thank you very much for joining us here. Uh, apologies for the self-imposed hiatus. It's been quite a busy summer. I am going to be moving house, so I have had a lot of loose ends to have. But we are back. We are back with a vengeance, and hopefully better than ever, as Eric Bischoff's theme says. So this episode of the WrestleMania podcast will look at WrestleMania 3, which emanates from Detroit, Michigan, held in the Pontiac Silverdome, former home of the Detroit Lions, and sadly is now dilapidated and no longer used. The attendance for WrestleMania 3 is a disputed 93,173, but in reality it is said to be closer to the 76,000 mark. The buy rate, as we are now going to look at, is something I forgot to include for WrestleMania's 1 and 2, but the buy rate for WrestleMania 3 is reported to have been 450,000, which is up 121,000 from WrestleMania 2. Just to go back, WrestleMania 1 drew a buy rate of around about 389,000 and WrestleMania 2 it dropped to 319,000 but we're going up to 450 it's quite a bit of a good increase. So the tagline for WrestleMania 3 is bigger, badder, better which is actually quite fitting that I used Eric Bischoff's theme music here at the start of the episode. The theme music, as you will probably now hear in the background, is by Aretha Franklin, who also does the national anthem here tonight, and it's a song called Who's Zoomin' Who? So the WrestleMania logo, as we just continue our usual kind of format, building up the background before we get into the actual event, is the classic WrestleMania with the Roman numeral 3. And having a look at the DVD cover, still got the classic kind of purpley lightning. The front cover is dominated by our main event here with Hulk Hogan literally facing up to his opponent and challenger here this evening, Andre the Giant. The front cover of it is, like I said, it's Hogan, he's got his crucifix chain on 
Andre's staring down at all of them. Um, it says in the front, bigger, badder, and better. Sorry, bigger, better, badder. The actual kind of proper format of the tagline is on the front with a running time of three hours approximately, he says. And it says, including every exciting match, the world's greatest wrestlers and superstar celebrities. On the back of the DVD cover, actually, I say it's the DVD cover, it's actually the VHS cover I'm looking at. The back of it, we have an image of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and the actual man, Ochoco, Jake Snake Roberts and the Honky Tonk Man, who you would mistake looks anyways an Elvis impersonator in the back, you wouldn't actually know it's the Honky Tonk Man. And actually it's pretty difficult to tell who the bottom one is, but it doesn't even look like it's from it. I think it's actually the British Bulldogs, hard to tell. Uh, but the text in the back says WrestleMania 3 was one of the most monumental events of all time. Witnessed 12 electrifying matches, including the main event in which Hulk Hogan classed his former friend Andre the Giant. Roddy Roddy Piper featured in his retirement bout, and the retirement is actually in quotation marks, but we'll get into that later. Against a adorable Adrian Adonis, see Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Lockhorns against Macho Man Randy Savage, plus British Bulldogs, Jake Snake Roberts, Honky Tonk Man, Hercules, and many of us. Guest appearances are Aretha Franklin and Alice Cooper. So that's the DVD cover. Okay, so, as you heard there from the opening of this episode, it was taken partially taken from a promo from Piper's Pit. We'll, we'll play the full promo kind of part um, later on as we get to the main event, but our WrestleMania is built around the main event where Hulk Hogan will take on Andre the Giant. That's the main feud going in tonight, and it kind of stems around Andre the Giant's heel turn and betrayal of his friend Hulk Hogan. It began on an episode of Piper's Pit where the TV... Face President Jack Tunney um, presents Hogan with a trophy because he's been WF champion for around three years at that point. Uh, Audrey actually comes out to congratulate him and cryptically remarks three years to be a champion, or in Audrey's term, that's actually more like Sylvester Stallone and Andre Giant, but there you go. Again, proving that I am terrible at impressions, accents, and many other things in life. So a week later, in another episode of Piper's Pit, Tony actually then gives Andre uh, a trophy of his own, but it's, uh, it's visibly smaller in it. This is purely for his undefeated streak in WWF, which is said to be 15 years at that point. I think he's actually disputed, and that's just purely kayfabe for television. I believe that Andre has been beaten in non-televised events before. But then, on another episode of Piper's Pit, Andre comes out with Bobby the Brain Heenan, which Hulk Hogan is absolutely shocked because Bobby the Brain, obviously, um, from WrestleMania 2, he was managing King Kong Bundy, so Hulk Hogan's got kind of a bit of a long-standing history with the Brain, so Hogan is immediately, what are you doing with this guy? Andre then issues a challenge to Hogan for the title because Andre is, quite frankly, fed up that his friend has never given him a title shot in the three years he's been champion. Uh, going as far as ripping off Hogan's like shirt uh, and his crucifix necklace, um, Hogan's totally bemused by it. He actually draws blood, which Piper actually remarks on. But yeah, that's the kind of that's the main storyline we're going in with here, folks. And another main feud we've got going in here is around the Intercontinental Title match. Um, Ricky Dragon Steamboat is going to be challenging Macho Man here tonight. Feud began during a title match between the two of them where Savage attacks Steamboat as he greeted fans at ringside. Savage actually pushes him over the security rail and drops an elbow shot that actually frosts Steamboat's throat 
into the rail, which they kind of KFA kind of play up that injury aspect, uh, and that he was sent to hospital as a result. Last for about six months, their original feud does. There's said to be many bloody matchups, which finally culminates in this match tonight. Uh, match to end the feud once and for all, um, which we'll see George Daniel Steele also being involved as he is still in love with Miss Elizabeth. Another heated feud we've got going in here tonight is between the King, Harley Race, a King of the Ring winner that is, and the Junkyard Dog. Grayson Classic, which was held in 1986, became the King of the Ring tournament. Harley Race went on to win that tournament and then after started referring to himself as the King. Uh, coming to the ring, wearing royal crown, you know, the pageantry and ceremonial component that would come with it. After each of his victories, Race would force his opponent to bow down and kneel before him. And usually his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan, would force the opponent to bow and kneel by grabbing his hair. Junior Dog would protest this and in promos would go on to say that the only person he'll bow down to is basically God and he does not recognise any king because this is like America. So, food's based around that, that Junior Dog refused to recognise Harley Race as the king and leads to a match on Saturday night's main event in which the king and his manager both tried to make JYD bow for them. He refuses to and it sets the stage for this match which adds a stipulation that the loser must bow to the winner. Looking at the tag team division, the British Bulldogs lost their tag team titles to Hart Foundation in controversial manner which saw the Dynamite Kid so debilitated with a back injury that he was virtually carried to the ring by David Roy Smith and didn't see any physical action in the match by after being knocked out by the mouth of Jimmy Hart who had actually blown out him with his megaphone. During the match, Danny Davis, who the referee, was allowed the Hart Foundation to use illegal double team manoeuvres, beginning a kind of bit of a heel turn, you know, towards like becoming the heel referee, and basically allowed the Hearts to get the upper hand and take the tag titles. After being given off some time off for Dynamite to recreate, the Bulldogs continued this rivalry with the Hart Foundation, teaming up with Tito Santana and referee turned wrestler Danny Davis in a six-man tag match here tonight. It's being billed as a revenge match because Santana, if you may remember, lost the Intercontinental title at the Boston Garden in early 86 to the Macho Man where Danny Davis was the referee and allowed Macho Man to use a font object to get the ring. A couple other matches we've got here, two of our main kind of talking point matches. We've got rock singer and Detroit native Alice Cooper appearing here and he's quite fond of snakes. And that leads him to align himself with Jake the Snake Roberts, making his second appearance here tonight. Uh, he'll be in his corner in a match against the Honky Tonk Man, managed by the Colonel Jimmy Hart. I love how Jimmy Hart has different nicknames depending on who he's wrestling. His generic nickname obviously is the Mouth South, but I love the fact that because he's managing a musician turned wrestler, he is the Colonel. So the Honky Tonk Man attacked Jake the Snake with a guitar on the Snake Pit, which is Jake Snake Roberts' interview segment, which actually legitimately injured the snake. It injured his neck and it began Jake the Snake's turn into a babyface, as well as leading on for this feud to culminate in a match here tonight. And that leads us last but not least on to the adorable one, Adrian Adonis taking on Rowdy Roddy Piper in what has been billed as the retirement match for Roddy Piper. Following a leave of absence in mid-86, Piper returns to find that his interview segment, Piper Pit, has been replaced by the flower shop. Fucking hell, the flower shop. 
Uh, if you remember listening to this WrestleMania 2, the episode where we cover WrestleMania 2, you'll remember how much I hated Uncle Elmer versus Adrian Adonis. I do not like Adrian Adonis as a competitor whatsoever. I hate his gimmick. I hated him at WrestleMania 2. I just don't like him whatsoever. He's still effeminate, albeit I don't believe he's dressing like your granny here tonight. But yeah, so Piper comes back. He's lost his interview segment spot to the flower shop. He actually turns his face, which the crowd respond really well to. The segment leads to a showdown between the two segments, believe it or not, where Piper is assaulted and humiliated by Adonis. Piper's former bodyguard Bob Orton and Don Miracle as well joined in with the assault. The trio actually left Piper with a face covered in red lipstick, lying in the middle of the remnants of his destroyed Piper's pit set. Responds, Piper storms the set of the flower show and destroys it with a baseball bat. This is actually, for some reason, going to lead to a hair versus hair match here tonight, in which is billed as Piper's retirement from wrestling, regardless of the result, because Piper is going to be leaving his folks for the first time, but not the last, to become a full-time actor. So, let's run down the cards. Up first we'll have the Can-Am Connection, which is Rick Martell and Tom Zink debuting, taking on Bob Orton and the Magnificent Miracle, accompanied by Mr. Fuji. Up next will be Billy Jack Haynes versus Hercules Hernandez. Well, he's dropped the Hernandez, he's just Hercules now, who will be accompanied by Bobby Heenan. Next up we have a mixed tag match, Hillbilly Jim, Haiti Kid, Little Beaver taking on King Kong Bundy, Little Tokyo and Lord Little Brook. The Loser Must Bow match, Harley Race the King taking on Junkyard Dog. Up after that we've got another tag match, the Dream Teams, Greg Valentine, Brutus Beefcake will take on the Rujo Brothers. Up next, Hair vs Hair match, Roddy Piper taking on Adrian Adonis. Then it's the six man tag revenge match. The Heart Foundation and Dangerous Danny Davis taking on the British Bill Dogs and Tito Santana. Up next, singles bout where Butch Reed will take on Coco Beware. Then the Intercontinental title will be on the line where Macho Man Raddy Savage defends against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Match number 10 will be Honky Tonk Man taking on Jake the Snake, Roberts with Alice Cooper in his corner. And then another tag match, which is, let's see, hold on a second, one, two, three, four, five. Our fifth tag match will be the Anshik and Nikolai Volkov taking on the Killer Bees. And then last but no means least, our main event folks, the WWF Championship on the line, the immortal Hulk Hogan defending against Andre the Giant in what is going to be a match for the ages. And there's no sarcasm whatsoever there in terms of the ability of Andre Giant or anything, this is literally going to be, if not, a first true WrestleMania moment. So folks, with the formalities out of the way, the crowd are in their seats, the bell is ready to be rung, and it's the tap. <sighs> Fucking hell man, I'm trying, I'm trying to get a new kind of like saying here. This is for people who are going to hear the full uncut version, right? So fourth wall broken down, even though I'm talking to you, right? So, you're listening to this, this is uncut, right? I'm trying to, like, come up with some new, like, lead-in rather than just, like, here we go, folks, time to hear those words again, blah, blah, blah. Right, I'm trying to come up with something, so bear with me. <clears throat> so, folks, the formalities are out of the way. The crowd are in their seats. No one's in the toilets. It's not a Divas match. <laughs> fuck. Right, uh, fuck it. So folks, the formalities are the way, the crowd are in the seats, and it's that time again to hear those three words. 
WrestleMania! So we get a jazzy number to introduce us here to WrestleMania as the WrestleMania logo constructs itself in front of us. And we get our first shot and yes, oh my god, WrestleMania is in a stadium. Oh, right, I, I was I, I purposely left out talking about the stadium and the setup itself until this moment because I wanted to capture this feeling right here, right now. For me, WrestleMania should be in a stadium, it should not be in an arena. I know we go back to arenas now and again for periods of time, but for me, WrestleMania belongs in a stadium. This is where it should be, this is where it belongs. It, WrestleMania is supposed to be this big event, it's supposed to be the greatest wrestling show of the year it should be in the biggest venues possible and I'm so glad that Wrestlemania in the present time is always going to be in stadiums because that's the way they see it it's amazing that they go from three small venues which they couldn't even sell out to this big stadium which they are they're quite frankly they're selling out this is packed the stadium is packed it's masses of people it looks incredible going from that dark arena look to this open it's daylight as well it's amazing i absolutely love this and it's it's actually incredible you know as we said in the wrestlemania one episode vince took a big gamble doing this he really did he put his life on a line he put his mortgage everything his family the business if wrestlemania one didn't pay off he was the wwf as we know it wouldn't exist it wouldn't exist probably at all we probably all possibly well we wouldn't we don't even know if we'd be WCW fans because there wouldn't have been that competition for WWF to do you know go into the Monday Night Wars so who knows where wrestling would have been if WrestleMania won hand paid off and similarly this is a big risk to go to a like a venue this size you know if you're claiming there's 93,000 people there if there really is then Jesus Christ you're taking a big gamble to sell that that fucker out you know what I mean Sorry, likes my language, but as you know, I'm from Scotland, so I use full language quite often. Uh, so the setup of the arena, we have got an entranceway, which is basically one of the big exits in the stadium. Uh, it's covered by a large WF logo, and we've got a very long aisle up to the ring. The ring itself is classic red, white, and blue ropes, blue ring. The ring is slightly raised, maybe about a foot off the ground. And on the skirting, we've got the WrestleMania 3 logo and Matt's outside the ring for the first time. Kind of stepping back and looking around the stadium, we've got four screens above the ring, which is great for people further away to see. And the hard cam is in the typical position across the ring with the L to the right of the camera. We also notice some scaffolding above the entranceway and there's actually people behind it, giving us a slightly restricted view there. So Vince McMahon is already in the ring here to welcome us to the magnificent Silver Dome and WrestleMania 3. On the WrestleMania documentary on the network, um, I remember I remember this part specifically that Vince talks about this moment when he was in the ring and he talks about how his dad was such an inspiration for him and he knows that his dad wouldn't have approved of what he was doing with WrestleMania but he does know that in that moment in time he felt like his dad was there over his shoulder and that his dad would have been so proud of him to take the promotion he started and take it to where it is now I mean at this time like I said earlier to be in a stadium that size and to fill it with all these people is absolutely incredible so here to sing America the Beautiful tonight is the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin, who's sat next to him with a giant piano. 
So as she sings this, I'm actually like, look, this is WrestleMania. This actually feels like a WrestleMania that I know and love. Big stadium, massive crowd. And for the first time, I actually feel that WrestleMania is a big deal. It's actually weird watching this because, you know, like, after this, we're going to, like, back and doors for four and five, six, we're in a, a stadium, albeit covered. You know, well, they're all covered, actually. So we're back in for seven, eight, we go back to the stadium. Nine, we're outside. Ten through seventeen, we're in arenas. And it's only in 2021, 20, where we go back to arenas. Other than that, we're back in, we're in stadiums. And that's just... That's you know as I said that's that's WrestleMania. WrestleMania should be in the biggest and the best venues in America. So as Arifa's singing here, we're getting the classic America montage played over the top of it's not played over the top like the video the images played over the top of it and get shots of the Motor City as we see industrial workers. So up in the booth tonight we as always have Gorilla Monsoon and Jesse the Body Ventura who are joined right now by Mary Hart and Mr Baseball Bob Yuka. Crowd are cheering in the background as Jesse's standing there. They're not cheering at Jesse, by the way, they're just cheering in the background. You can hear that. Jesse's rocking the fashion here again tonight, folks. Oh fucking hell. I suppose it's not as bad as, you know, WrestleMania 2, I guess. But he's here rocking the snakeskin tonight. And Mary tells us that she's looking forward to a night with the body. Oh dear. Oh well, sorry, she's actually looking forward to a night with the body, Gorilla and Yuke, so she's up for the foursome, folks. So we go to the ring for opening contest here, folks. It's the Can-Am Connection taking on Cowboy Bob Orton and Don Morocco. This is actually, believe it or not, the first time we're going to see Bob Orton in the ring, which is amazing considering he's been at the previous two years. This is the first time we're going to see him in the ring. So the thing introduced, Rick Martell and Tom Zink. The Can-Am Connection, Mitt Rick, who, as we know, will go on to become the model Rick Martel. But Tom Zink is making his one and only WrestleMania appearance. So these guys joined late 86 and Zink would only stay for about a year before leaving to head to all Japan, AWA and WCW. And there's not really much to note about him other than that. Uh, Rick Martel, on the other hand, well, I first saw him as the model, hated him, but typically as an adult, I appreciate him and we'll be tracking him for years to come, folks. Mr. Fuji gets heat as he is managing the heel team of Alton in Morocco and we get a high shot of the ring and that's where, like, I know it down first. Oh my god, there's mats there. History is going to be made tonight, folks, apparently, and Jesse is actually happy to see Monsoon. They've actually been apart for a while now. I think it's actually, I think the Ventura was actually away filming and he's genuinely happy to be with Monsoon, which is very nice to actually hear because usually he's a dick. So it's nice to actually hear him a bit sincere. So the bell rings and we're underway here as Morocco and Martel get us underway. Martel actually looks really buff here. I don't actually remember uh, Martel looking so beefy as a model. Just kind of, you know, he just resembled kind of like the typical kind of, atypical muscular kind of guy. I didn't actually remember him being quite buff, but he does look pretty buff here. So... Get a shoulder block, which Morocco then knees Martel, whip him across the ring, leap, who then leapfrogs over the back of Morocco, hip tosses him, tries to leapfrog again, but Morocco this time catches him. Somehow Martel turns into a roll. It's not exactly a hurricane runner, but kind of like ends up in a roll and gets a two count. It's a quick sequence here, as we're told that Can Am Connection are one of the hottest teams right now in the WWF, and they're looking to go after the champions who are the Heart Foundation. 
Zen gets tagged in, my tail ducks under as they leapfrogs and it's a double monkey flip on Morocco. A double hip toss to Orton who's pleading for mercy as the heel team regroup at ringside with Mr. Fuji and strategize. Orton comes in now, he's in Mozink, they lock up and I just realised at this point that despite his third appearance now at WrestleMania, this is the first time we're actually seeing Cowboy Bob on or Ace Orton competing tonight. He shoulder blocks Zink, but Zink catches him off the ropes next with a scoop slam. Orton goes to tag in at the wrong corner and gets hip tossed into an armbar. Knees to the abdomen as Orton locks in a full Nelson. Martel looks to go up top, but Morocco comes in as Orton reverses the full Nelson Zink ducking the shot from Morocco for a two count. Martel gets tagged back in, he's up in the second rope and drops the elbow on the arm of Orton, working on that arm, and it's the arm he had to cast in, so a nice bit of consistency there uh, from the can arm connection. Zink gets tagged in, Orton reaches for the tag, but he gets body slammed. Orton gets bad knee to the back of Zink as Morocco comes in, hits a neck breaker as Orton drops on top for a two. Both men then literally just run into each other. On gets the tag of Zink, gets what's, we can't really class it as a hot tag, but it's perceived that it's supposed to be a hot tag to Martel, who's really fired up. Launching Morocco across the corner, he goes up and over the ropes and out to side. On comes in as Zink flips Morocco in. The referee is having a hard time keeping track of the legal man here as Morocco looks to whip Cannon into each other, but they reverse. Morocco backdrops Orton, double drop kick to Morocco as we continue the quick sequence here as Orton is then drop kicked. Morocco reverses Martel off the ropes, who then hits a high crossbody, hooks the legs for the free count and the Canam connection win. A fast paced opener here at WrestleMania as the hot team in the WWF pick up the victory. Jesse tells us that he thinks there was too much double teaming going on in this match and monitoring the referee for not getting a grip of it. Finn announces the winners as we get a brief glimpse of the WrestleMania Isle car. Now, if you've never seen this before, it is literally a kind of cherry picker which has blue scutting draped around it and red, white, and blue ropes. It's basically made to look like a mini WWF ring. So that's our opening contest. Um, decent restart. But yeah, um, Canam Connection looked pretty good here. Um, it's actually a shame because it's the one and only appearance of Tom Zink, so it's the only time we'll see what's put across as the hottest team in WWF. Zink, as I said earlier on, he'll leave later in the year, but Martel will go on to bigger and better things. So we see the masses here in the stadium as Monsoon takes us to a short package, hyping up the next match. It is the Full Nelson Challenge. And we get a short package of Billy Jack Haynes and Hercules Hernandez, which is more or less just a short clip of Hercules putting him in the full Nelson with the brain there. It's actually shown in full length on 100th episode of Primetime Wrestling that that was a full Nelson challenge where Haynes was called out by the brain to try and escape the full Nelson challenge. But when he was put in hold, brain cheap shots him and that sets up the match. <laughs> As I said earlier on in the episode, this match is centered around both men using the full Nelson as their finisher. So we go backstage where Oakland is waiting with the Brain, who is in a glitter tuxedo and red bow tie. And sadly, no longer looking like Eugene anymore as he shaved his head. It's Hercules Hernandez. Personally, I'm going to be watching with special interest 
It's Billy Jack Haynes. Billy Jerk. Get it Billy right. Jack Haynes and his full Nelson against this man, the mighty Hercules. You know, it's the same old story. And it's just like thousands of years ago when I took these chains and I pulled down the pillars of Rome. And just like I made Atlas and Samson cower at my feet, Billy Jack Haynes, you're going to feel the fear. You're going to feel the wrath. We're going to find out who the true master of the full Nelson is right here in the Pontiac Silver. And get it right, it is Billy Jerk Haynes. For the record, it is Billy Jack Haynes. No, hold on a second, mate. You're not actually Hercules. You're just a Eugene Lookalike. I don't give a shit if you've cut your hair. You still look like Eugene. You've just got him with short hair. Eugene cut his hair at one point as well. So, don't even try to hide it. You're his dad. Just admit it. You're not Hercules. You're Eugene's dad. So, Billy Jack, as we heard, he's going to feel the fear and wrath of Hercules tonight. And we'll find out who the true master and the Nelson is. So go back out into the stadium as Billy Jack is coming down the aisle in the cart. And he's wearing a sparkly jacket and he has a cowboy hat on. Sorry folks, but when I saw this, I just felt like I had to brandish Billy Jack, the rhinestone cowboy. So yeah, Billy Jack's coming down the cart. He's in the ring now, posing away as his opponent, Hercules Hernandez, comes down, wearing his silver chain and quick frangle, looking like the white version of Junkyard Dog. Monsoon contests that Hercules started using the full Nelson after Billy Jack came to WWF. We see a Hercules sign in the crowd, which is a bit strange. We'd not have expected one for that, but the crowd then start a weasel chance as both men square up to each other in the ring. We have Dave Hebner officiating here tonight as both men start off with a strong lockup. But Hercules overpowers and hits some big knees, whipping Haynes into the corner but misses the elbow. Haynes comes back with a big press slam, £275 up and slammed. Phil Nelson attempt by Haynes but Hercules dies for the ropes. Ventura compares Hercules escaping that to of a quarterback going out of bounds. Interesting metaphor used there. By Ventura can see the, the, the relation to it, um, with the exception that Hercules basically is not escaping because he's trying to protect himself, he's escaping him because he's shitting himself and does not want to give up to the full Nelson. Hercules nifts a very stiff clothesline coming out of a whip into the corner and kicks away Haynes' head and a back body drop thereafter. Haynes is then thrown into the corner, his head actually whips back a bit, bit of whiplash there. Ventura says that Hercules is working to expose the back of the Haynes for Phil Nelson. Got a nice suplex in cover, but Hercules picks him up after the two counts. Brain isn't happy about it one bit. And at this point, I'm sitting thinking, hold on a second, is this not possibly a Phil Nelson challenge? My understanding going into this one was basically the other one is going to win by Phil Nelson. But no, that's not the case. Haynes comes back but really starts to sell that back injury of his uh, through a suplex attempt that he can't even execute. Hercules picks up Haynes like a press slam but it's more kind of scoop slam-esque because he's shown to have a hold of tights which briefly exposes Billy Jack's crack. <laughs> right, no, just as I've, I've said that, like uh, I didn't actually, I've actually got exposing Haynes' crack. Uh, actually written down here in my notes but I feel that as I was just about to say that um, kind of Billy Jack's crack sounds more poetic I can't, I, I, oh god I can't believe it in my head right now I've got a B song 
going on, you know, it's like Billy Jack's crack, Billy Jack's crack, everybody can see Billy Jack's crack. Hercules is just pumping up the crowd now, singing along for this Phil Nelson, which is funny because he's the heel here tonight. Hercules is so white compared to Haynes, who looks so tanned, and Hercules locks in the Phil Nelson, but no, he's not going to lock in, as his hands are not fully locked on either side of the head. He's trying to lock in, but Haynes is down on one knee. Referee gives us the classic two spot with the arms raising as Haynes starts hulking up and fights out the holds with Hercules letting go. Hercules lets go and batters him in the back. Both men then hit a double clothesline and are down. Referee actually starts a quick double count at this point. Uh, but Haynes and Hercules get back up. Haynes hitting an inverted atomic drop and hits a poor clothesline attempt, which looks more like a fist to the face. He throws Hercules across the ring and boots the gut clothesline, leg drop off the ropes, fist drop from the second rope as Haynes now signals that he is going for the full Nelson himself. And he's got it locked in, fingers clasped right over, hands right behind the back of the head. Hercules is struggling but he gets to the rope as both men roll to the outside. But Haynes, he's not letting go of this folks, he's, uh, he's got it still properly locked in which considering both men rolled out of the ring is quite impressive. Referee starts counting as both men are outside the ring and the brain kicks Haynes in the back which releases the hold. Haynes starts chasing the weasel around the ring as the crowds pick up the weasel chance and the bell rings and we have a double count out on our hands. It gets announced as a result but Hercules is continuing to now assault Haynes over the head with his chains. Haynes is actually busted open and we get blood here folks so early into WrestleMania 3 as Hercules keeps bashing away with the chain and really to add insult to injury Hercules then locks in fully locks in sorry the Phil Nelson to prove that he can do it and then just tosses pains to the map before leaving on his cart with the brain so double count out there Hercules looked better quite frankly here looks good as a heel I didn't really see Haynes I didn't really see anything in Haynes at all from this it was quite poor for it to be a full Nelson challenge I was quite disappointed and well not sadly this is the one and only appearance of Billy Jack's crack on the Wrestlemania podcast so coming up next it's the six man mixed tag with Bundy, Hell Billy Jam and a bunch of midgets backstage Oakland is with Bundy Gene says Big Trouble comes in little packages as the camera zooms out to show two midges, one of which looks like Mr. Sulu. The other actually looks more like what I would imagine Andre the Giant and Macho Man's secret midget love children would look like. Bundy outright calls the midgets vertically challenged. I think still we're looking for their Bundy, but hey-ho, it's the 80s. Up in the booth, Bob Euchre has joined the team. Bundy, Sulu and Andre Savage, as I noted him, come out. It's Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo, uh, just for the avoidance of doubts. Although, Sulu and Andre Savage sound a bit better. Although Andre Savage actually sounds, you know, like a not bad name for a wrestler, actually. It would be good if the Macho Man had a brother they could give that name to. It's a genius idea, that, actually. Hey ho, nice terrible typical name, midget names there. Bet Vince was laughing all the way to the back back that, about that backstage. Oakland is now backstage with Little Beaver, Hayabita Kid and Hillbilly Jim. Jim says he ain't worried about himself, he's worried about his little buddies in this match. At least Jim tries to be PC about it by not calling them midgets, unlike Oakland who then calls them midgets. 
Jim the Little Buddies now come out to Hillbilly Jim's banjo music, which is probably overdubbed as usual here. Ventura asked Euchre what he would have done if Bundy was rounding third to home. Euchre outright just says he would take a shot. He isn't phased at all by Bundy's boldness, fatness or his size. Get shots of the crowd here and we actually see a kid showing off his macho man figure, which is so cool. Took me back, I, I, had, I, didn't, I didn't have that version of the macho man figure. I had the more one from the kind of early 90s, you know, he's got the tassels, he's got a hat and the sunglasses on, which considering you're supposed to like, you know, wrestle with them, you know, when you're playing with them with your ring, it's not very practical that he's coming out in his entrance attire. But hey ho. So we got underway here as Beaver and Tokyo start off. And this just, from the outside, just feels like a really weird match. And at this point, like, you know, it kind of just reminds me that it's one of the many, many gimmick matches that WrestleMania will bring us over the course of this podcast. Yukon is asked if he could take one of the midgets by Ventura, and Bob responds that he doesn't want his kneecaps rearranged. As in ring, all four midgets crisscross before hating Beaver roll the legs of their opponents. Yuka says Beaver reminds him of a girl he went with 25 years ago that had the same haircut. Now, if you've never seen Little Beaver, he has a black mohawk. Which leads me to think, is Bob Yuka telling us that he went with a guy? Because there's no way 25 years ago, so that's what, 1980, right? So 25 years ago is what, 62? 1962, black mohawk. So, mm, I, I don't believe you there, Bob, you're just... But uh, this is just Bob Uecker's attempts to try and put himself over, as we will see through the course of the night, and in WrestleMania 4 too. Well, we have an atomic drop, Sulu, as uh, Haiti comes in, and he just looks like he is in his pants here. No socks, shoes, or pads. Bob actually says that he thinks this is totally unbelievable, as Sulu tagged Macho Landry, and not Andre Savage, now Macho Landry, or Macho Giant. Which would be probably that's macho giant would be more like what, or even little giant. Yeah, little giant. Yeah, we'll go with little giant now. Little Brook is a wily veteran of midget wrestling. We're told the series that Ventura is says he wants Buddy to squash all of the midgets, and Bundy is then tied in. Oh God, please don't tell me he's going to do it. Haiti attempts a drop kick before running to tag Jim in. This finally we've had all the midgets. We've had Bundy in. Now Hillbilly Jim is finally in. Bundy pounds away in the back of Hillbilly Jim so he sends him off the ropes and Jim hits a big clothesline and elbow drop. All three of Hillbilly Jim's team cover Bundy for a two count. But Bundy takes control again as Heaty comes in to break it. Brilliant quote at this point from Bob Uecker. I think there's a lot of beaver all over this place. Bob is just looking for his hole. Uh, for anyone who's not Scottish, um, looking for your hole is basically wanting to get your end away, but a tiffin, you want to sleep with a woman. Bundy drops an elbow on Beaver and the bell is rung as Bundy picks up the DQ. To be fair, he kid kept interfering in the match and Bundy now goes for a splash on little Beaver as the midgets pull him out of the way. Yeah, so typical gimmick match here folks with a screwy finish. We see Bundy get on the card as a guy with a headset is at ringside signal not to hurry the fuck up and get out the ring. They're clearly overrunning time on this match here. And fingers crossed this doesn't actually kind of interfere later on. So backstage, Mary Hart, our other celebrity here tonight, is with Miss Elizabeth. 
Miss Elizabeth, as usual, looks absolutely stunning. Already an exciting event, and right now I am standing here with the lovely Elizabeth, whose pleasure it is all mine. It's nice to meet you, Elizabeth, but are you just a little trepidatious about today? Oh, Very. trepidatious is the word. You're very hard. You must be fascinated with the macho man, Randy Savage. Do you want to ask me any questions? I'll answer them one by one. Go ahead. To tell you the truth, I was really looking forward to talking to the lovely Elizabeth because About she's the macho self man Randy Savage and her kind of no heavyweight champion, huh? Yeah. Is yes, it always this yes. way? Oh. Wow, can't believe it, man. Fascinating is the word of the day, and enthusiasm is where I go. Elizabeth, down that aisle. Oh, yeah, wait, wait a minute, right. Elizabeth, I'd love to talk you to you a little bit later my phone on. Numbers on the back of my license plate. You are a real charm. Hot actually looks like a Zebra. Based on the gist she's been macho man comes in saying surely she must be fascinated with the macho man who's still intercontinental champion here macho tells Lewis to head down the aisle as his, he breaks up this interview and tells Mary Hart that his phone number is on the license plate which to be honest like I know macho man's been a heel but like we haven't seen that yeah like you can get my phone number phone me up you know like no macho come on it fuck don't cheat on Miss Elizabeth. Don't even fucking tease that shit, you know. Miss Elizabeth was the first lady wrestling. You don't do shit like that to her. But yeah, Macho Man, in this short interview, uh, comes across as quite egotistical. It's back out in the arena. We are told it's up next. It's the King Holly Race versus Junkyard Dog as we go to a package where Race and Junkyard Dog actually sound very similar. It's like me doing impressions I feel like and as you've probably heard I'm not great impressions and sometimes my voices can sound quite the same. Race tells everyone to bow down, Junkyard Dog then tells us he will, he's never had no king or queen and his mum and daddy always told him to bow down to the Lord. Cuts to Junkyard Dog putting on the crown and cape and then going after the brain. Race is now trying to make him bow down as we go backstage now to Oakland with Race and the fabulous Miller, who is dubbed the Queen, apparently. Oakland says this could be a reincarnation of the King, which Race calls it a, re a, a reincarnation. I don't know, it's probably just his accent, but yeah, let's hear the audio on it anyway. You can tell for yourself. You got it right, Oakland. A reincarnation. Keep it that way. So if he wins, that means he'll be born again? I mean, Christ, you're not Jesus, Harley. So with a talks of kings, queens, gone one package, and on the third day, Harley's the king, rose again. Fuck's sake. Brain pl places the crown on Muller's pillow and tells her to crown him when they win. Back up to the booth. The moon is full and Yuka needs to get with Muller and he runs off. Yuka, what are you Mula. excited about? It's yeah, Mula. Queen. She's here. No wonder you guys are here all the time. The moon is full and so am I. I gotta get with Mula. I'm leaving. See you guys later. Oh, Ray, Spray and Mula are coming down the aisle now and what would become Jerry Lawler's entrance music. We go back to an Ellen interview with Junkyard Dog in Oakland. Oakland asks if he'll be wearing the crown. Junkyard Dog says, as black as he is, basically, yes. Well, you couldn't say shit like that today. Junkyard Dog is so hypocritical in the promos here. Ella said, we ain't got no king or queen and he'll only bow down to all. Next he's saying, I'm going to be king. Consistency, mate. Christ. Junkyard Dog's now coming down to the Ghostbusters theme again and it's not overdubbed this time because you can hear the crowd actually over the top of the music. crowd love Junkyard Dog and he gets a really good pop coming out as Harley Race is here at this point and I kind of noticed they look like a pack of super noodles. 
So the loser this match must bow down to the winner. Ventura says Muller needs to be careful as the stalker Yuka will be down there looking for him. So we've got underways, we've got a hookup, junkyard dogs blocking away and hitting punches. Brain grabs away his leg as he gets chased around the ring. Back in the ring, Race works away but junkyard dog comes back before being tossed out to the ringside. Race attempts a dropping headbutt from the apron but junkyard dog gets out of the way. Junkyard dog hits a clothesline to Race and they go back in the ring. Jumping stop with Race's head between his legs and Race goes over the top rope to the outside. Christ, they're in and out of this ring so fast. Junkyard dog scoop slams him back into the ring. Got a domino stretch but Monsoon and his typical play-by-play and explaining moves to us explains how it's not fully locked in. I, I just really, I love how Monsoon really goes into the, de- the technical detail about holds, like explaining that Junkyard Dog didn't have his leg fully hooked in, which couldn't pull at the abdominal muscles. Race gets thrown again to the outside, and this this match, just at this point, I just feel there's going to be a count-out finish. JYD hits his headbutt spots, his brain is on the apron to distract. Nice belly-to-belly by Race for the free count out of nowhere. Jesus Christ, the crowd are raging. Did not expect that. Like a second ago, I'm just saying, I'm expecting a count out finish here. Get junk your dog's typical spot. Bit of distraction, belly-to-belly, it's over. And the weasel's distraction gives Harley Race the king the win. Uh, junk your dog did try to kick out, but very poorly as the Fink announces... The winner and says that Junkyard Dog must now bow down and kneel before Race. Brain sets up a chair for Race. The crowd are pleading with him not to do it. He cuts his and bows to the king before picking up Race's chair and kneeling him with it, crowning him as Monsoon says. He takes the robe with him and Brain is holding on to crown. Race's music plays as Junkyard Dog puts on the robe. Race may have won this one by folks, but Junkyard Dog is really leaning here with his head held high, waving to the crowd as we see a uh, beware of the dog sign. Uh, race is totally incensed by this, but yeah, I, I didn't, this isn't a WrestleMania. The, the match, the way it finished, it, like, ah uh, yeah, it could be a WrestleMania match, but the finish was just, it came, it kind of came out of nowhere. Not sure if they get, these guys were told to um, cut back on their match due to the midget match overrunning. So Vince is backstage with the Hulk stuff flexing away. champion of the world in the locker room, just one hour away from his moment of destiny. Well, you know, they said it was my last ride, man. Yesterday, when I finished hanging and banging, when I jumped on the Harley, man, as I went through the intersection, as I headed for the mountains, some of the non-believers in the gym said, see you later, Hulkster, man. This is your last ride. It ate me alive, brothers. When I felt the fury as I ripped, as I tore the shirt, as I headed for the sunset, man, I looked down, brothers, and as the sun beamed off the gold in my eyes, I realized that sooner or later, you gotta live and die and you gotta face the truth. And for you, Andre the Giant, it's time to face the truth, brother. Because when I think about what you and I have to do, man, what I have to do is nothing. All I have to do is merely beat a seven foot four, 550 pound giant. But Andre, you gotta face the truth, brother. In its purest form, man, the purest truth there is, man, the training, the saying, the prayers, the eating, the vitamins. And to beat me, man, you gotta beat every Hulk I maniac, every little Hulkster in the world, everyone that plays it straight, all the ones that don't take any shortcuts, brother. 
And they usually say, if the dirty air don't get you, the politicians will. But in this case, it's going to be Hulkamania. And the reason it's going to get you, man, it's the purest form of the truth there is. And I can't wait to see you go down at the feet of Hulkamania in front of 90,000 plus in the Silver Dome. What you going to do, Andre the Giant, when the real truth, the 24-inch pythons and Hulkamania runs wild on you? Hogan is one hour away from his big championship defence against Andre. Hogan, as we heard, he says this will be his last ride. He said the non-believers in the gym thought that this was his last ride as he headed off into the mountains, ripping his shirt off, calling across. He says it's time for Andre to face the truth. Hogan merely needs to beat the giant. Andre's truth is to beat him. He needs to beat every Hulkamaniac in the world. So far in this podcast, this is the best Hogan promo we've had. And um, that's why I played in the field. It's the first time we get even the what you gotta do. And um, it's great to hear Hogan now actually coming into this phase of like really nailing these promos. So we're moving on next tag team match. Up next, the Rougeau brothers Raymond and Jacques, aka Pierre, are already in ringing sparkly blue jackets. The Rougeau brothers are sons of wrestling legend Jacques Rougeau Senior. They began their wrestling careers in Montreal before joining the WWF in 1986. Uh, Ray Rougeau, as you may remember, will go on to work in the kind of interview commentary. And Jacques, as I referred to as his other name, Pierre, will go on to become the Mountie, one half of the Quebecers, and Jean-Pierre Lafitte. So he'll have a long career ahead of him. The Dream Team are backstage being interviewed by Gene with Dino Bravo and Johnny Valiant, who this time is in a suit. Oakland asks them why they need the extra man. Honestly, I've no idea what Johnny Valiant is going on about in this promo because he sounds pretty much drunk. All I can make out was basically that the Roosters are going down. Something, something, something. Scrambled eggs, Grandma. You know, I'm very curious, luscious Johnny V. Why in the world is the Dream Team need an extra man, Dino Bravo, in their corner? Let me tell you something, Mr. Curiosity. The Dream Team is going to rain some miracle here, baby. And they're going down the tubes, those Rougeau brothers. But they will scramble eggs, Grandma. C'est la fin du rêve de la nation canadienne-française. Qu'est-ce que c'est? Dino says something in French, and Valiant responds with qu'est-ce que c'est? And does, like, a, a unicorn sign? Like, this is why I think, like, Valiant is honestly, like, drunk. But anyways, the Dream Team are coming down to ringside now and they are cut. Dino Bravo uh, making his debut here tonight at WrestleMania. He began the NWA and the WWF uh, in the tag division, winning the tag titles with one Dominic DiNucci. He also held the WWF Canadian Heavyweight title. Valentine is wearing a shiny new robe with hearts and a big hammer in the back. And I noticed that Dino Bravo's perm looks quite like a big wig. So Raymond and Brutus, or Brutai, as Monsoon calls him again. By the way, I've actually found out why he's called Brutai. Um, I actually tweeted the man himself um, a while back, actually, and asked him, um, is this a nickname or is it something inside reference? Quite simply, Brutus responded to me and said, it's, it's just a name, that's all, and gave A2 Brutai. So, yeah, it's just a, a name Monsoon for Hadam, had from. There's, um, there's no reference, whatever. <sighs> Hi guys, it's John. Just a wee side note, actually, on this. At the time of writing my show notes, I had actually tweeted Brutus um, 
this is back in May I'm to ask him about what his name was but he didn't actually return any messages or replies so it actually noted Brutus himself sadly won't return my message so I don't think he wants to tell us or maybe it hurts him that much that Monsoon called him this but as I've just said he has since came back and told us that it's just a name thanks Brutus thanks for getting in touch and back to me I guess so round away Brutus locks arm behind Ray's back Ray flips over his back Hits an inverted tonic drop and tags the Mountie, sorry, Jackson. Double drop kick from the Rujos as Valentine gets tagged in. Jesse says the referee needs to get a grip on the double teaming here again after the Can-Am match earlier on tonight. Monsoon reminds him that the referees give them to the count of five. Jesse says he wants him to remember that for later on. He must suspect a double team finish here. Uh, Hammer and Jack start hammering the each other. Ray gets tagged in. Both Rujo's leapfrog crossbody from Ray for a two count. Jack's tagged in. Um, back elbow to the hammer coming off the ropes. Monsoon reminds us that WrestleMania 2 was a nightmare for the Dream Team. Well, to be honest, folks, WrestleMania 2 was a nightmare for all of us. But yeah, Ventura says that the Nasty Bulldogs stole the title of the Dream Team. Hammer drops some elbows on Jack's who scoop slam and then tags Brutus in. Brutus is dressed in cheetah and fishnet patterns here tonight, folks. Monsoon actually refers to his awful haircut, and at this point I'm like, oh, there's, there's like more teases of the barber being um, made here, and that's great. I just, I'm looking forward to when he eventually becomes the barber. Strange move um, then occurs as Brutus puts Jacks up like a press slam. Hammer comes off the top rope and hammers his back, and Brutus just drops him like a backbreaker. Doesn't seem intentional whatsoever. When, oh, hold on a second. The weasel's in the booth. Um, Billy Brain Heenan has appeared and says he doesn't stink in any place and he's two for two tonight. He disputes that, saying that Billy Jack knew he couldn't win and went for the count out and he is on a roll tonight. Ventura says Junkyard Dog hitting him with the chair is the biggest cheap shot. Monsoon corrects the brain and says you're actually one for three as Bundy lost. Brain says he wasn't out there. He doesn't do midgets and doesn't like midgets. Hey, I wasn't out there for that match. I don't care. I don't, I don't, want I don't do midgets. I have nothing to do with midgets. I don't like midgets. Oh, backdrop. I'm totally missing what's happening in the ring for laughing at the brain here, folks. He wants Monsoon to talk about his career that he's making history tonight. So back in the ring, Valentine's uh, was in a sleeper, uh, but Brutus is broken up uh, by hitting Valentine accidentally. Ray lifts Valentine up and Jack dives at Valentine, crotching him in the face. Ray rolls over for the pin, but the referee's distracted with Jacques and Brutus. Dino dies off the top rope and puts Valentine on Ray for the free count. The Dream Team win here, folks, and they celebrate, but Brutus is left in the ring and isn't celebrating the victory. He's actually arguing with them as Bravo kind of gives it a, a get up here, you know, kind of like putting the, you know, like the hand in, like like fuck you kind of idea but um yeah Brutus isn't happy about this folks as they leave him behind in the ring um Brutus is out of nowhere is totally like against the um the heel victory here and folks uh Brutus the barber beefcake is technically turning face right here right now as our first main turn of Wrestlemania as we're cutting away to the brain asking Monsoon how he's doing bragging about his record here tonight with this match it was a distraction with what was going on in the booth which calmed down right for the finish but remember Jesse saying about the referee getting a grip of the double count here well where was it to stop Bravo nowhere that's that's where but um yes yeah, so like I said I Brutus is 
he's not happy with how things went down and he's um leaving here kinda half turning face. So um yeah, so Johnny Valiant who is managing the dream team made his last WrestleMania appearance here tonight, folks. Um he would actually go on to manage the demolition famous WWE EF, sorry, Tag Team Champions, um, but he later left for AWA when he managed a team called the Destruction Crew. In 1996, along with his brother Jimmy, Valiant would be inducted by Own Heart, the British Bulldog, to become the first ever tag team inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame. Moving on, folks, it's the Hair versus Hair matchup next. Adrian Adonis against Rowdy Roddy Piper. Adrian Adonis, folks, is still dressing like a woman, which, considering at the Wrestling Classic, he was dressed like a cheap biker. I've got this picture. I'll, I'll fire it up on Twitter. Um, he's got a leather jack on. He's dressed like a cheap biker. His gimmick, frankly, is quite disgusting. I, I don't like him. And I'm like, thank God. It's not Uncle William. I'm hopefully going at this one. Uh, Piper should make this an easy win. So we get a package of Piper being bashed on the head by flowers by Adonis. While Bob Orton and Tonga hold him. We then see Piper destroy the set with a baseball bat. As he says, the war has begun. Then we get shots of Jimmy Hart slapping another Piper's pit, with Piper picking him up, but Adonis comes out to break up, which Piper fights back and ends up getting hit with Jimmy Hart's megaphone, which is totally no sales. Um, but he then gets locked in a sleeper, and we cut to Piper holding Hart by the hair. We get a big right hand from Piper as Adonis goes to squirt him in the eyes with his spray. Well, what we actually got was Vincent Ventura telling us that he squatted to me because we actually get censorship with the WrestleMania 3 logo cutting onto screen, which is a precursor to the old cut to the crown for censorship. Piper's backstage uh, and cutting a promo. WrestleMania 3, do you think for one second on my way out, Hot Rod going to be humiliated by someone who wears a dress look like someone shot the curtains at Day's head? You're wrong! No retreat and no surrender! So yep, he's not going to be humiliated by a dress wearer. No retreat, no surrender. Uh, absolutely love it. Short and sweet. I love the no retreat, no surrender. I'm a Bruce Springsteen fan and it's, that's quite cool because that's one of his songs. If you don't know it, go listen to it. It's a great song. It's back in the stadium from the God's camera angle. We see Adonis coming down the aisle and he's getting pelted with garbage with Jimmy Hart. Think in the ring is telling us the loser of this match will have his hair shaved. Adonis has got garden shears with him and Hart has a mirror. It's back to Oakland who interviewed him earlier on. Hart tells us to spell wrestling A-D-O-N-I-S, Adonis. No, Jimmy, that's not how you spell wrestling. Adonis just mouse off playing with his shears and I'm sorry, I just can't take him seriously. Oh, so cut back to the stadium and Hot Rod is coming up next to a big pop from the crowd and we hear bagpipes. Piper actually just walks out. First guy you come in, he doesn't need a cut, folks, he's going to be quite happy to walk down the ringside. Ventura tells us that Hot Rod has announced that this is his last match and will be returned tonight. And the crowd are absolutely going mental for him, it's amazing to hear the pop, he's just, he's just taking it on. I think this is why he walked down the ring, because he just wanted to milk what would be, well at the time would be, because we know he comes back several times, folks, but at the time what he perceived to be his retirement. So in the crowd we see a big bed sheet with Adonis written on it. Why? Just why would you bring one of your like piss-stained bed sheets and write Adonis on it? We also get a Don't Retire Hot Rod sign in the crowd as Monson tells us the barber tools are at ringside but as Piper comes flying out of the corner of his belt, sticking out the back of his tights. 
He immediately rips out and starts whipping Adonis with it like, fucking come on then. Uh, and then starts choking Jimmy Hart with it. This is quite brutal, you know, for a WrestleMania, folks. Crowd are going absolutely ballistic at this. They're really fired up and it's like, they're really alive for this one. Adonis ends up with a belt and chops Piper with it and it's quite quickly turned into a strap match. We see a We Will Miss You Hot Rod sign the crowd as Piper um, whips Adonis across the ring, flips into the corner and to the outside. Piper straight back out to drag him back in the ring and he's going at it fast here, folks. He's even got Jimmy Hart in the ring too, bashing their heads together. Piper whips Hart into Adonis and they both end up outside and the crowd are now fucking losing it here, man. The, this place is unhinged now. Adonis is back in, gets whipped across the ring and Hart is somehow on the top rope and thrown into Adonis. Adonis then pushes Piper into the ropes and Hart trips him up to heavy booze from the crowd. Adonis is now in control working away at Piper and they end up back outside battering Piper's head off the timekeeper's table. A cheap shot from Hart as Piper looks totally over. Piper's back in the ring as Adonis starts pummeling away. Piper calls him for him to get it, trying to fight back. Um, Jimmy Hart sprays him with the spray. We don't get a cutaway in a WrestleMania logo for this one, folks, as the sleeper hole gets locked in. Piper rolls him onto the mat, but he's still locked in, and Hart is bouncing about outside with the shears. Piper gets back on his feet, rams Adonis into the corner, but doesn't work, and he's back down, still locked in the sleeper hold. Everyone then does the arm count, which Adonis then lets go at two, thinking it's free, and starts celebrating. Out of nowhere, Brutus Beefcake slides in the ring, and at first I can't tell if he's going to go after Piper or help him. He goes straight over to him, but it turns out he's actually trying to bring him, like, back around, you know. Uh, Jimmy Hart gets taken out and Piper locks in the sleeper hold himself with Adonis flailing around. Beefcake is aiding Piper by chasing Hart as the referee does the count and Piper wins here, folks. Brutus Beefcake cements his face turn here by handing Piper the shears. What the fucking barber is here? He's here. Uh, yeah, Brutus the barber Beefcake helps start the cut here and we're now witnessing the birth of Brutus the Barber Beefcake and I'm absolutely buzzing and totally marking out as I watch this uh, and like again like as I'm actually now recording this Brutus shaves his hair as Piper's beating away at heart holding him down uh, and Piper starts tossing bits of hair out to the crowd as Brutus uses his scissors and then drops an elbow on Adonis's head Piper rolls up in the mirror for Adonis to turn around and have a look at himself he ends up punching the mirror and tries to go after Piper misses and ends up slipping on his hair and rolls out of the ring they actually run up the hill with Hart covering his head with his jacket as Piper music plays to announce the winner in his farewell match. So yeah, um, alright match, you know, um, highlighting the match purely as Brutus Beefcake getting involved and basically cementing his field turn. Um, yeah, as I said, it's been billed as a retirement match for Piper, but to be quite honest with you, we know he's not going anywhere folks and even when he does say he's returned at like Wrestlemania 8 he still comes back at like King of Ring 94 and special guest appearances thereafter uh, and the ring so Piper's gives the think a big kiss to his ball patch as a fan actually gets into the ring to hug Piper and is then taken down by security I'm actually quite surprised they left that in the network you know because usually when that happens like on like Raw or whatever live they, they cut away so it was actually quite Odd to see it left in. Piper leaves on the cart, waving to the crowd, and as I said, folks, it won't be the last time we're going to see Hot Rods here. Um, so, yeah, as I as said, um, Brutus Beefcake's turn was the moment in this match for me. I actually forgot 
that it was at WrestleMania 3 he'd done his turn so it was amazing to kind of see in the previous match that he was kind of like no I'm not standing for this and then to come out and do what he did here and it's our first um, face or heel turn in the podcast thankfully this is going to be Adrian Adonis' last appearance at any pay-per-view he later goes to AWA but it's short-lived as he ends up on ankle injury and unfortunately in July 1980 at the age of 33 he sadly died in a mini burn accident I have my opinions on him from what we've seen you know the last two WrestleManias but sad that his life ended so suddenly like the year after this event May Hart is now up and about with Yukar and Monsoon Ventura's gone and Monsoon says he insisted on being introduced in the ring to the crowd Bink introduces him as the man who tells it like he is. A snakeskin Ventura comes into the ring. Jimmy Hart's back in the ring, shaking hearts. The hands of the Hart Foundation, who are our tag team champions, but will not defend the titles here as it's a six-man tag. Dangerous Danny Davis will be debuting here tonight. Uh, we got a backstory on him being suspended for life, plus 10 years as a referee, for basically screwing the British Bulldogs. We go to an earlier interview where the Heart Foundation tells they're going to unleash their new member, Dangerous Danny Davis, and says they will bring it to the Bulldogs and Tito. Back in the stadium, where all of a sudden it feels like it's just got darker all of a sudden, as the Bulldogs with Tito and Matilda come down the aisle to rule Britannia. Monson tells us that Davis is responsible for Tito losing his Intercontinental Championship, and as we just said there, uh, the British Bulldogs losing their tag titles. Matilda is set loose to chase the Heart Foundation and Davis, and the Bulldogs then throw Danny Davis to the outside. Action gets straight underway with Tito and Brett Hart in a ring. Tito going to work on the Hitman, throws him across the corners. Brett tries to get head scissors, but Tito just slams him down. We get a brief shot of Ventura taking Matilda away, looking like he's just stolen her. Tito puts Brett into the boots of both Bulldogs. Nightheart with Davy now in the ring, locking up. Davy's still not got dreadlocks here, folks. Nice Union Jack tights on the Bulldogs, and I love that. Davey bashes heads together and goes to tag Dynamite in. And, but Tito's then quickly tagged back in. Locks the arm lock in, but Nightheart forces him at the corner with Brett choking away at him. Heart Foundation uh, are in their classic pink outfits here, folks. Uh, Tito gets back in uh, from Davey and hits a big backdrop on Nightheart. Monsoon refers to it as harder than sliding into foot, and Mary says she doesn't even know anything about sliding into foot, but asks if they work out in those pink types, which Monsoon says he believes they do. Dynamite and Brett are in the ring now, as Monson reminds us about Dynamite getting knocked into next week by the megaphone of Jimmy Hart, which cost him the belts. Hart's got his megaphone actually at ringside, which I've not heard him use yet. And Brett has control over Dynamite in the ring, hitting blows in between, which you can clearly see from um, the camera angle they then show, is that Dynamite had his mouth in more. Um, Dynamite comes out looking for a suplex, but Nightheart gets into the ring. Davis on the apron here, just looking like the spare wheel. I don't really expect it'll be up to much when he does get in here, folks. Heart Foundation doing a classic corner spot where Nightheart holds his opponent over the knee and Brett drops the elbow to the throat from the second rope. Davis now gets tagged in and tags straight back out to big heat from the crowd. Brett right-handed Dynamite Kid as Nightheart gets tagged in to hit a shot to the gut. They're really wearing Dynamite Kid down here, um, building up to a hot tag to someone. Nice double team move from the heart, says Davis gets tagged in, gives a couple of boots to Dynamite, cocky as fuck, and then tags Brett into more heat. Hart's coat used the ropes to launch Davis in on top, 
of Dynamite, but the kid gets the knees up and tags Tito. Good solid hot tag as Tito unloads and Davis backdrops and then clears the hearts off the apron. Gets a big flying forearm off the ropes, starts beating away at Davis, going for the figure four, and the crowd are totally lit here. But Nighthawk gets in to stop it. Davy Boy managed to get the tag in and hits a clothesline to Davis, takes Davis over, and Dynamite Kid headbutts him, and then Davy Boy hits a big fucking jumping tombstone. And it's, I mean, it's it's fucking brutal, and I mean, I, I, to do it on Danny Davis, you know, it's definitely doing something like Bret Hart, who'll know like, how to protect themselves. Obviously, Dave Boy's not going to know how to protect him, too, but to date on Davis, like, fuck, it was impressive. Davy Boy hits a suplex, and then his running power slam, which isn't technically his finish at this point, but it's a one count that's broken up by Nightheart. Teal gets in and hits a flying elbow as Pandemonium starts here in the ring. Dynamite Kid is working the hearts as Davis nails Bulldog with the megaphone, covers Bulldog and gets the fucking free count. Another clusterfuck of a finish here, folks. Um, just feel like every tag match here tonight is just totally messy. They just can't build up and win. Winners leave straight away to bullshit chants from the crowd. The crowd are just absolutely fucking raging. I think they're, they're more angry that it's the fact that Davis was the one who got the um, the freak out, you know, for them. So yeah, Yuka makes a great point saying that Davis should have covered him from the pile driver, that's Tombstone, and that really cost them. So, yeah, so another tag match out of the way, folks. It won't be our last tag match, we've still got one more to cover. Backstage to Oakland with Andre and the Brain. Brain has actually had a wardrobe change and he's now into a white piano tuxedo with gold trimming and a gold bow tie. Next to Andre the Giant, his iconic black sing, you know, I instantly kind of felt like singing Ebony and Ivory live together in perfect harmony, which really insight makes them quite look like the odd couple. So Brain says that Andre is undefeated in the last 15 years. Hogan has never met a man bigger than him, taller than him, heavier than him, collectively of course, because Bundy is heavier. And Brain says, by the books on history, on Hogan, they will be closed as Andre will win. Vegas apparently take no more bets in this, as it's a foregone conclusion, and Hogan's had a good three years. But hey, this is Andre's time. So back up in the booth, Ventura has rejoined the commentary team, as we are introduced to the Doctor of Style Slick. Wearing a green gold jacket, big black bow tie and bowler hat. If he's the doctor of style, then I must be Ralph Lauren because this is just, this isn't his style. But yeah, he's here representing the natural Butch Reed, who looks simply awful on a silk waistcoat with Butch writing on his bandana and aviator sunglasses, mouthing off at the hard cam instantly. Butch Reed making his debut tonight, folks, with Slick. They both uh, began in Mid-South Wrestling. Um, Butch Reed feuded with Junkyard Dog there and would go on to wrestle in the NWA territory out of Kansas City before joining the WWF in 86. Slick came over with him and would then fill the role vacated by Freddie Blassie as Sheik and Volkov's manager. So Coco Beware making his debut also here tonight. He comes out dressed like what I'd imagine Stevie Wonder would look like as a spaceman. He's got a silver jumpsuit on and he's got his bird Frankie on his arm flapping like mad. So his music's playing in the background and Coco Beware, I always remember that he was so well loved when you look back on. My memories of, of him are with his tag team High Energy with One Own Heart 
in that tag team I totally preferred Owen didn't really rate Coco that much but that's the 8 year old me talking that's my opinion and let's see if he impresses me now up in the booth Jesse shows off his Wrestlemania free t-shirt like remember to buy your fucking t-shirts Monsoon doesn't want to entertain them as he points out to the stadium whilst Ventura's flexing his muscles Ventura's personality whilst annoying I actually quite find, I find it quite funny how egotistical he is like generally what the fuck you am awesome attitude it's a great precursor to when the brain joins Monsoon in the booth so it like fills the role of the kind of heelish dickish commentator quite well I mean the brain is in a different like level for Ventura but it, as much as Ventura can be quite annoying frustrating you know and at times he is genuinely quite entertaining Jesse thinks the slick looks good, which Monsoon instantly strips him down, saying that he's wearing a cheap $39 suit. Pink introduces Coco Beware, and apparently the B stands for Buckweed. Ventura is being down the floor is awesome and reckons there's up to 95,000 people here tonight, folks. Coco Beware has got a white glove on, just a single white glove channel on Jacko. We go underway here, and the referee straight away is admonishing Coco for close fists. Slickster is apparently ready for downtown Detroit. Do you think they mean they're picking up holes with that? It doesn't feel like there's anything really in this match. Um, Coco drop kicks Butch to the outside. Butch is quite a big intimidating figure compared to the Birdman. Back in, big fist to the throat. Ventura tells us the best way to be smart in the ring is to get your body in the way to cheat. Uh, Birdman hip tosses and flaps. Jabs at Butch and that nice standing drop kick but a cover for the two. One soon reminds us the necessity is to hook the leg. Get a small package by Coco for a two count. A very poor crossbody by where it is rolled over by Weed, who hooks the tights and gets the free count. A real nothing match here, folks, as Slick celebrates. Coco gets nailed with Slick's cane, but Tito Santana is straight away out of nowhere in the ring to get to Slick and ripping his clothes off. It just feels like Tito Santana is uh, he's just simply there to pursue justice. That's three WrestleManias we've had, folks. And in each one, Tio Santana has run in after the match to save someone or complain. Tio and Coco double dock, drop kick Butch Reed. Slick is running up the aisle. And I tell you what, folks, it must have been a cheap suit because it ripped that easily. So, yeah, this was just a squash match just to establish a heel. It was said that Butch Reed was going to be said to be on the verge of a major push, but apparently he screwed himself and wouldn't come close to it ever again. So, in the crowd, um, there's a shot and there's a foam. Hulkamania finger, which I actually remember buying at my first ever house show in 92. Uh, I went to so much darker in the arena now as we now go on to the show-stealing match of the night. Intercontinental Championship, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Okay, so I'll tell you what, folks, I'm absolutely bricking it um, before we go into this one, purely because... This is without a doubt one of the greatest WrestleMania matches in history. And hopefully I'm going to do it justice here. So we get a package showing Macho Man jumping off the top rope with an axe handle to the back of Ricky who's on the rails. And then a shot off the top rope with the title nailing Ricky with it and we see him getting stretched off. We then see a questionable looking doctor who says it's a miracle that he's recovered. And we see Ricky's return to the ring before George Animal Steel takes Elizabeth away at Saturday night's main event. With a standoff between both men at the event. Backstage, Macho Man is here. He says in a state of shock that when Ricky came back in front of one of the largest audience in the world, he's going to embarrass him. Lord and Master of the Ring, and he's about to find out. 
So history beckons the macho man as he comes out to land of hope and glory on the cart to a great response from the crowd despite playing the heel tonight again. Ventura says that macho and Elizabeth are looking good and everyone's looking good apparently and that Detroit loves the macho man. Monsoon tells us it's been a year and two months since Macho Man stole the title from Tito Santana, going back to Danny Davis um, being involved in that one, folks. Mean Gene's backstage with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a cry without giving it the... He says the day has finally come and they will clash like two titans, but there'll be only one winner as poor overdubbing of his entrance music takes over Cutting off. All right, Ricky the Dragon, yeah. Steve, both someone special. George, the animal steel in your corner. However, in my opinion, this could be your last shot at Randy Savage and the Intercontinental title. My last opportunity. Randy Savage, the day has finally come. The minutes, the seconds, we have reached our moment. As you and I climb into the ring, we clash like two titans. But there will only be one winner. One winner, Savage. This dragon will fire. This dragon will scorch your back. I will come away with the championship belt and see new horizon. Dun 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 Epic. It, it, it's, it's funny purely as you watch it because it does make it quite epic sounding. So Steamboat comes out to a great response and he's accompanied by one George the Animal Steel. The crowd gives him a big response but I don't know if it's the music but it's, it's actually making me feel like this is actually a big match. Well, I mean let's be honest we know that it is such a big match at the time and will forever be mentioned as one of the best. But let's actually see from the point of view that this match is coming up. Let's try not to judge it based on what we already know. Let's actually try not to look at it, which is hard, and I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling to look at it from that point of view because I know how awesome this match is. So Monsoon reminds us that, of course, on a title change, it must be pinfall awesome mission. The bell is rung, and here we go. Both men begin by circling before locking up. Ricky throws Macho Man off him after transition from a lockup to his back. Monsoon says that Ventura and the Brain said there was no chance of Steamboat returning. Ventura actually goes on the record by saying he is surprised. Macho Man goes to the outside and takes Elizabeth by the hand away from Steel. He's back in the ring and locks up and rack. Ricky is whipped into ropes and hits two arm drags. Takes Macho by a double throat chokehold. Macho retreats again and Ricky goes after him and Macho Man ends up dropping an elbow on him. Kicks to the gut by Macho Man and tries to choke him on the top rope with the throat. Goes for a cover and gets a two count. Um, that's playing up the injury, um, the kayfabe injury that Ricky the Dragon Steamboat had injured his throat, folks, just to clarify. Following the two count, literally pushing Steamboat by the face into the corner as the crowd start chanting Steamboat. He then comes at Steamboat into the corner but Steamboat ducks out of the way. Another wrist lock as both commentators say that this is the final opportunity for Steamboat as Macho Man hits a back elbow to Ricky, sending him off the ropes. Ricky gets sent into the corner and goes out over the top to the outside. George Animal steals out, looking very concerned. As Steamboat tries to come back in, but Macho Man hits him with a knee, keeping him outside. Ventura says that Animal is disgusting and he'd rather not look at him. 
I can agree with him there um, based on my comments from WrestleMania 2 I cannot believe the amount of hair that George has on him Ricky's up on the apron but Macho Man delivers a hard elbow to the chest Macho Man is holding his arm before booting away at the back of Steamboat keeping him out of the ring uh, at this point I note that Miss Elizabeth as always looks absolutely stunning at ringside Macho Man snapmares Ricky into the ring Elbow planted, goes for the cover and gets another two count. Has a hard knee to stun him and then gets another two count. Goes to bust his head on the turnbuckle but Ricky blocks and counters. Right hand and a chop to Macho, hooking him in top and middle rope. Referee tries to help get him out as after warning Steepboat, for whatever reason I don't understand, is his chops that bad and powerful that they could cause serious harm? I don't know. Whips off the rope and reverses on a crossbody by Ricky for the two count. Arm drag whipped by Macho Man. Ricky hits a shoulder block for another two count. Another shoulder block, two count, and like at this point I'm like, fuck me, this is quite fast and I'm struggling to keep up. I had to keep stopping the video so that I could note down, you know, what's going on. It's fucking fast at this moment and the pace is really building up and it's this the match really starts to pick up pace at this point. Ricky is thrown into the ropes and comes off backwards and a knee to the back. And Ricky gets thrown over the top rope again, but hangs on and flips back in. However, Macho Man just hits him with a clothesline, sending him to the outside. Animals over trying to help Ricky, but the referee's warning him away. Ricky then gets sent into the timekeeper table, over the railings, into the crowd by Macho Man as the count continues. Animal helps him back into the ring, though. Macho Man launches Ricky back to the outside. Goes up top and nails a double axe handle to Steamboat who just got up on his feet. Count is continuing outside as Ventura rants that the referee isn't counting fast enough. Ricky gets rolled back in as Macho Man goes up top with an axe handle. Goes off the ropes, elbow to the head, covers for the two count. Macho grabs Ricky by the hair and dives over the top rope, gauntleting him by the throat in the top rope. That's that, the, you know, the spot where Macho Man literally just leaps over the top rope. It's that spot. It's amazing, like... Macho Man's like, it's not vertical leap, but like, getting jumping literally over the top rope and landing on the mats, it's it's a great spot and like, for me highlights just how athletic Macho Man actually was. Inverted atomic drop by Macho Man for the two count with the crowd cheering every single count out. A suplex is nailed by Macho Man thereafter and gets another two count, elbow to the head, Ricky hits back and chops Macho Man right, right onto the head. Gut wrench suplex by Macho Man cover for the two count. Every time Ricky keeps coming back here, folks, Macho Man is just boom right back on him. Cover another two count. Ventura complains that the referee's out of position and that technically should have been a three count. Ricky's punching away Macho Man's gut. Macho Man looks for another inverted atomic drop, but Ricky flips him over and chops him right hand. Whips him off the ropes and looks for a back body drop, but Macho Man just simply boots him in the head, sending him back onto the ropes, which Macho Man goes after and Bo ends up back outside. Ventura's claiming there should be a DQ here. Aye, they bother. Like Ventura, I don't understand why you think there's a Ventura. There's nothing untoward going on here. Referee's counting and tries to keep Ricky from going outside, Macho Man. Ricky gets out though, he batters his head off the apron and rolls him in. The Draken goes up, top, and dives over the referee with a chop to the head. Goes for the cover, one, two, three, it's a free 
count, but no, it's not. Wait, Macho Man has got his foot in the ropes. The referee saw it despite counting the three, and the match continues. Ventura actually says that this is the first good call of the match, as Macho Man has whipped off the ropes and a chop to the chest and a cover for the two. Macho Man goes on to the apron and is chopped with his head rolling to the floor. Ricky goes after him as Macho Man goes in the ring. Ricky hits a shoulder block through the middle rope and dives over a sunset flip, but Macho Man holds on to the top rope. Nope, he can't hold shoulders down. Two count. Getting a lot of spin spots here. Schoolboy roll up for the two. Double leg hook up for the two. Small package for the two. Crowd think he got that one. Scoop slam, slingshot in the corner. Macho's man hits, hits the post. Roll up for two. Macho man swings at the referee. Going to the ropes. Roll up. Two. Macho man rolls it back. Cover. Two. Ventura's ranting at Hebner's counting slow, man. But like, Christ, how many pins are we getting in this match? The crowd are like, they're, they're like, oh, oh, oh. You know, it's it's different. I've not, I've not actually seen a match. Like, it's so fast-paced and there's there's been some great wee spots so far but like they're really like trying to get the crowd on the edge of their seat like fuck no no he didn't no he didn't get him no no he got him no darn he's got him oh he's got the foot in the ropes do you know what I mean it's it's the anticipation of that actually getting the free is building up for that moment and it's incredible so Ricky's hit some right hands as Macho Man grabs him pulls him into the corner shoulder first Macho Man goes for the whip Ricky reverses, it's reversed, it's reversed, it's reversed, and boom, ref bump. Clothesline by Macho Man, Ricky's down, the referee's out. Macho Man goes to the top and hits the elbow. He covers, Ventura's count, one, two, three. Macho Man's hitting the canvas for the count. He goes over to revive the referee. Macho Man then goes to the episode and grabs the ring bell. Animal steals up in the apron, steals the ring bell, but Macho Man boots him and takes the bell back. He goes up top, but the animal pushes him off the top. Macho Man is up and scoop slam, roll into a small package. One, two, three, it's fucking over and the crowd go ballistic, folks. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat wins. Oh my god, Crash Bang Waller, what a match to quote Alan Partridge. As I was watching this, like I said, folks, I was struggling to keep up and like I said, I had to keep stopping to take notes. The match was fast-paced, fast-action, and technically it was an amazing match. I would give it, uh, if I'm going to stars, five stars. Absolutely, this was brilliant. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat is your new Intercontinental Champion here tonight, folks, as he and George Animal Steel leave with the belt as we see replays. What an amazing finish. I've never actually seen a scoop slam rolled into a small package before. Miss Elizabeth is upset as her and Macho Man leave with Macho Man being booed out of the stadium and pelted with garbage. What's in this one? No wonder it's so revered. The match absolutely steals the show and could easily steal many WrestleManias. This match was incredible watch. I loved every second for If you've never seen it before, stop this episode, go watch it right now and then obviously continue listening to the episode thereafter. But this defines Show Stealer. I don't care what match you go down the line, this is the origin of that, that WrestleMania match that just totally doesn't matter how big you hype the main event, this is the undercard match that everyone remembers, do you know what I mean? This defines that moment. And like you'll have a newfound appreciation if you've watched this match, not only for the match man, but also for Ricky Dragon Steamboat in what is arguably his greatest performance at WrestleMania. I mean this match has been voted like match of the year for uh, nineteen eighty seven and it's I believe it's ranked fourth in 
the greatest WrestleMania match of all time. The part that I love the most about this match is what I learned after it. So, basically, these guys scripted out the entire match start to finish. Both of these men decided they were going out to do this. And what actually had happened was a macho man faxed a script of the match to Steamboat um, talking about what they were going to do. I mean, you know... um, that well, this is an era when like wrestlers would just call that in the ring, and that's it. You would never get scripted spots, you know, before. But both of these guys, like I said, they wanted to go out and basically just fucking steal the show. It was like bullet points or something like that. He tried to say, I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. That's you know what they actually then whatever. I don't know if they maybe there was like a bit of negotiation before let's do this, no. But for the fact that these guys took the time before to put so much planning into this incredible match you know it's no wonder that it's so revered it's so well thought of and it's so loved over time and the false finish spots throughout the entire match you know it becomes standard in later years and I mean this match really kind of at the forefront of us and then like a faster pace style they've, they've kind of it's almost as if they're innovating where wrestling can go, they, they're showing you you can do these fast-paced matches. You can really up the ante. You can go out there and have the crowd on the edge of their seats just by two counts. You know the execution in this match is fantastic, and absolute kudos to both men. So moving on, um, Monsoon asks us if Lightning can strike twice, then if we'll see the WWF title change hands tonight. And just as a side note, I actually took quite a bit of a break after watching this match because it was that cruel. But let's move on. That's us. Backstage, Jake the Snake and Alice Cooper are being interviewed by Oakland. Oakland reminds us of Jake the Snake getting hit with a guitar in the snake pit, which we then see. And folks, it ain't no guitar that explodes. It's a proper hard guitar, which Jake apparently says on his DVD that the guy who got the guitar didn't know what it was to be used for. And it was about an inch thick. I mean, that's, it's disputed that this attack is where Jake's addictions begin, but yeah, but imagine getting hit by a proper actual guitar. It's not prepped to explode, it's just like a guitar, back in the shop, boom, clock somewhere, yeah, it's gonna fucking hurt. And it did actually cause legitimate injury to Jake Snake's neck. So Snake says he's still walking and he should have taken that shot, but says that this afternoon he'll have his way with him. Alice Cooper will be watching Jimmy Hart and tells us this is his hometown, the hometown of heavy metal. Cooper's involved here, folks, because he loves snakes. Monsoon Ventura says this has been unbelievable. The greatest wrestling extravaganza yet. Well, after that match, yep, you can say that. Ventura says that the last match was a classic, which Monsoon actually agrees with him. Out first, it's Jake the Snake and Alice Cooper. And Damien is in tow in his sack. We go backstage earlier on to Gene Oakland earlier with the Honky Tonk Man debuting tonight. Honky Tonk Man, if you don't know, is the real-life cousin of one Jerry the King Lawler. He started in Memphis and came over as a face as an Elvis impersonator, but fans quickly rejected him and it gave us a natural heel turn. Tonk is literally playing his guitar, badly made, I add, and says that 90,000 are awaiting to hear the Tonky Man sing and want to hear that number one song in America today. Not so nightmare song by Cooper and he's not going to get his hands on the colonel. Tonk's music hits as they come down the aisle and Honky Tonk Man is dancing with his guitar. 
it's not the classic I'm just a honky tonk man entering music just yet and it's very hard to make out the words but it's not the classic to, uh, honky tonk music so it's against up on today and honky tonk is nailed by the snake and Ventura says it's a cheap show and won't let him get out of his Elvis suit so we're straight away and off the ropes in the reverse knee lift to heat as honky tonk escapes and gets out of his suit Jake Snake is straight after him hammering away and this ends up in and out of the ring again Snake scoops Tonk onto the floor as we go back in the ring with Jet Snake in control. Jimmy Hart has still not used that megaphone to speak yet, folks. In the last episode, we heard him use the siren element of it when I believed that there was an ambulance siren um, being overdubbed. But no, he is not using it yet, sadly. Tonky gets a reprieve by hitting the knee as Snake runs at him in the corner. He takes the arm and kicks away it and Jake's staring him. Snake gets up, but Tonky is still hammering away. Snake hits back with a roundhouse right hand with an Irish whip into a clothesline. Jake Snake goes for a DDT, but Tonk slips outside with Snake coming out after him. He goes for heart, but Tonk can't capitalise before Snake gets thrown into the ring post. Tonk starts dancing away as Alice Cooper comes over trying to help. Ventura at this point then says that managers should not be helping, which Monsoon actually confirms. Tonk is still dancing away here with quite a wee shimmy and it's quite funny, I love the, the cockiness of him, especially because he's always a heel. Big knee to the gut sends Snake from the apron into the railings with Alice Cooper over helping again. Tonk scoops Lamb Snake on the second rope and hits a fist drop to him. Ventura's calling for sh- to shake, rattle and roll, which is a reverse neck breaker. Tonk has kicks him to the front and throws right hands and Snake's back down again. Tonk actually goes over to challenge Alice Cooper to come into the ring. He hits a back elbow and an axe handle drop on the snake. Tonk goes for shake, rattle and roll now, but Jake the Snake back drops him. Ventura says that he waits too long, uh, but he comes back and hits a shoulder tackle to the back of Snake. Tonk goes over and does the 10 punch spot, but he stops at three, pointing to the crowd, but Jake the Snake counters it into an atomic drop. Snake boots Tonk and keeps him back. Tonk is now pleading for time as Snake tells him to get up. Goes off the ropes, hits a backdrop. Big right hand and Tonk goes out onto the apron. Steps in and Snake hits with right hands. It's like the lunatic lariat. He kind of rolls back and kind of comes back in but right hands from Snake. Jake the Snake signals for the DDT much to the crowd's pleasure. But Jimmy Hart grabs his leg distracting him. And Honky Tonk rolls him up, grabbing the top rope, and gets the freak out. So, yeah, that one's over. Monsoon is in the happy. They stole it. They literally stole it, he says. And Jesus Christ, Jake Snake smashes Tonk's guitar around the ring post and explodes into pieces as Tonk hightails it up the aisle. The crowd aren't happy with the finish here, folks. And, oh, wait a minute, Jimmy Hart's still in the ring for some reason. Alice Cooper comes in, taking off his jacket as Snake runs up behind Hart and puts him in a full Nelson. Cooper goes and brings Damien out and holds it up to Hart and he's literally shitting himself, wailing like a little pussy. Jay Snake throws him across the ring and puts Damien on top of him, but he rolls out and Tonk helps him backstage with the crowd pelting him with garbage. A lot of garbage getting pelted there. I hope there's janitors in the aisle, you know, sweeping up the mess that's being created here tonight, folks. Ventura wanted Hart to stay out there to see Hart versus Cooper and says that would have been an added attraction. Please... God, don't let that mean it's going to be a match down the line. Like, I know we get fucking celebrities involved in that, but no, please don't do this. Ventura comments on Cooper's arms and saying how he's been in the weight room for some time. I'm sorry, Jess, he's got, he's like, 
Look up a picture of Alice Cooper, right? So Jesse Ventura's saying about how he always spent time in the room. He's got scrawny arms. So it's just bullshit. Yeah, so replay the finish, now analysing Tonk, holding the top rope, and he's pulling it. Which, surely that means it counterbalances the weight and therefore makes it easier for Jake Snake to kick out. You know, really what you want to do is kind of like push it so then the kind of force of the rope is pushing back on you. But no, fuck it, who cares? Heels using the ropes for the win, then the man gets a freak out no matter what. So, yeah, uh, not really much to say about that one. Um, nice to see Honky Talk Man debut here on the podcast. Basically just to really establish themselves a heel, the whole idea. Same with the Butch Reed match earlier on, just to get the heel over. Monsoon tells us that WrestleMania 3 has far surpassed his expectations. Well, based on WrestleMania 2, I think the first match itself probably did that. I mean, we weren't really expecting much, to be honest with you. Fink gets our attention and has a very special announcement for us. He introduces Mean Gene Oakland, who comes into the ring to Mean Gene chants at ringside. Mean Gene says we're all part of history in the making this afternoon, and he's come here to be part of this historic date, March 29th, 1987, and is here to announce 93,173 smashing the indoor attendance record, which the crowd go wild for. Caught Jesse Ventura is bigger than the Rolling Stones, and he's always got to mention the Rolling Stones because he used to work for them, folks. And I think if we go back, he's actually mentioned the Rolling Stones in each of the WrestleMania so far. Bit of heat from the crowd as Nikolai Volkov and the Sheik come down with Slick for this tag team attraction, according to Fick. Slick has barely sorted his clothes out from earlier on. He's literally mess, no style at all. And if he's so-called Doctor of Style, surely he would have had a full change of wardrobe. I mean, he's been backstage for quite a while. Surely he could have got changed. Like, he's a fucking amateur, basically. Volkov gives us the Soviet national anthem to mega heat from the crowd. And all of a sudden, it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who sprints to the ring with his 2x4 and a USA flag taped to it. The crowd pop for him as he chases them all out of the ring. He promised that Volkov would never sing the Soviet anthem ever again. Grabs the mic and says he's never singing that anthem again, confirming what I've just said. Their opponents are now coming down there with the Killer Bees. They get a great reaction from the crowd. I have to say at this point that the crowd have been pretty much on point tonight. Great reactions for the face, great heat for the, the heels. No signs of it getting tired at all. Bokov and Sheik go straight for them. It's Hacksaw is at ringside for the Bees. Bees getting worked over in each corner as Volkov and Sheik go to whip them, but it's reversed and the foreigners are sent into the corners. They are whipped and dozy do each other and get nailed by the bees. Volkov gets sent to the outside as the bees double team the Sheik. Brian whips Sheik towards Jumping Jim, who pretty much slaps both hands on Sheik's head. Oh, chance at ringside as Monsoon tells us it's yo, no, it's not, it's whole. Bees in control of Sheik in the ring, quick tags. Slick's shirt is ripped to shreds here, folk, and Ventura reminds us that Chico Santana done a number on Monsoon tries to correct Ventura by saying it's Tito, but he blatantly ignores the correction. Jumping Jim is described as possessing the best drop kick he's ever seen, according to Monsoon. Not mentioned much about the moves, but basically the, the bees are slowly working over Sheik, who isn't making any attempt at all to get involved. Tag is made, Sheik off the ropes, and there's that drop kick to the face that Monsoon was talking about. Jumping Jim does get pretty good height on it, to be honest. The cover's broken up at one by Volkov, as Blair is in now and knocks Volkov down. Referee gets him out, Sheik and Volkov work over him. 
No tag mate, but Volgolf keeps it going whilst Crouch Chunk USA with Duggan at ringside raising the 2x4 to the chant. Sheik is tagged back in, double axe handle under the chin, cover for the two count. Sheik looking slower here than usual before, but he's obviously kind of getting to the end of his in-ring career. Volkov is back in as Jim ducks the arm but jumps into a bear hug. Right hands cause the release as Sheik gets tagged back in. Gut wrench suplex by the master of the suplex, the Sheik that is, covers for the two count. Ventura says that it's terrible that Jack Tony has allowed Duncan to run around with a 2x4. In ring, Sheik whips Jim but gets a high knee. Jim makes the tag, referee didn't see it and sends Blair back out as the heels whip Jim and hit a double elbow smash. Jim's now to the outside. Sheik goes over the corner to draw heat from the crowd and Duggan is chasing Slick around the ring and now Volkov. Sheik in ring locks in the camel clutch as Duggan comes in and nails him with the 2x4 getting the DQ for the foreign team. Sheik and Volkov raise their arms as they leave with Duggan taking the mic an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If they don't want to play the rules, neither do they, folks, apparently. So they head back up to the L2 Big USA Champs. We've got another sign, mate. Simple but yet effective. Kill. So, um, yeah, again, heels getting put over here. Um, Duggan just looks absolutely idiotic coming in and nailing him by 2 by 4 but apparently the reason for this was because the Sheik and Duggan were going to be going into a programme together. But this was the last pay-per-view for the Sheik, who was supposed to feud with Duggan. Both men got released after being arrested for marijuana influence and possession of cocaine. Duggan would come back later that year, and it would be 1991 for the Sheik to return in what would be another memorable angle during the Gulf War. Hey guys, sorry to be the bearer of bad news here, but stupidly I forgot to hit save when I recorded the original main event conclusion and summary section of the podcast. Apologies for doing that, I only discovered it when I was doing the editing process and thought that I had finished the episode when in fact I realised I'd only done up to the end of the Sheik Volkov match. Therefore, here is my second attempt at doing the main event and summary of the podcast. Enjoy! So we go back to the interview centre where Andre and the Brain, or Ebony and Ivory as we called them earlier on, were moments away from this moment, our main event here folks. Andre, I'm not going to do his impression again. I actually have listened to it um, several times and I'm not proud of it. But he says, you see me now and... It won't take me long to come back with a title. Brain chides in with he can feel it. Andre's going to make him famous and will go down in history and that Hogan better be ready. His brain's actually so excited in this promo, like, it seems to be a foregone conclusion that Andre the Giant is going to win this match and win the title tonight. And Brain knows and can feel that himself. So Monsoon takes us back to the package that led us here. Andre is shown be doused by Andre with beer congratulating Hogan on winning the title and you can tell from the beginning of this package it's brother versus brother it's been portrayed as then we see Hogan rescuing Andre from Bundy and Stud with them being declared winners Andre saying to Hogan that it's three years to be champion it's a long time Hogan says that Andre is number one and thanks them for recognising Andre who walks off he walks off because he's not happy at getting a smaller trophy than Hogan we then see Ventura on Piper's pit saying that he's going to produce Andre next week. And then we see Andre come out with Bobby the Brain Heenan to challenge Hogan for the title. Uh, wait, what's going on? 
What are you doing with him? You guys aren't together. Come on, man. Andre, what are you doing here with Heenan? What's going on? Andre, listen, man. You can't be here with him. Don't you know what Heenan's done to me, to these people out here since you've been gone? It can't be so. Andre, listen to me. Day one, man, when I set my eyes on you, brother, you're the reason I got in professional wrestling. You were like a god to me, a role model. You can't be here with him, man. You're the one that took me all the way from nothing to the world's title. Andre, you can't be with him, man. You're the, way one. You're the one that taught me, man, about respect for the fans, about helping the kids. You're the one that taught me about good sportsmanship. You set the, the mold for me to follow, man. What are you doing here with him? I'll tell you what he's doing here with me. He's sick and tired of you and what you stand for. Let me tell you something, Hogan. You're the one that for three years as world champion used this man. You're also the vermin that made this man. I can't tell you what I think about. You used him, they gave him a trophy. But no, that wasn't good enough. It was a littler trophy than yours. But you had to walk out and steal that moment. You're so jealous of this man, you can't stand it. He, oh, this is the man for 15 years that is undefeated. But did you ever once? No, man, you're wrong. You're wrong, you're wrong. When I won the world title, he poured champagne over my head. It was like a bond of friendship. You're wrong. Did you ever once in your life offer him a championship match? You laughed behind his back. No, Andre, listen, it's not happening. Tell me it's not so, man. Even though you came out here with him, you don't have to leave with him. It's not happening. Thank you, Ansel, my shoulders. He's got one more thing to say to you, Hogan. Look at me when I'm talking to you. I'm there for one reason, to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. Andre, what are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? You can't cross the shirt. What's wrong with him, man? You can't leave like this. You're bleeding. Andre, come back, man. You don't have to leave like this. What is he doing? You're bleeding. Jesus. What's... Come, come. Yeah, so basically Andre is tired of living in the Hulkster's shadows here, and that is why he's challenging him. He's really trying to put over that he's undefeated also, and he's not lost a match in over 15 years. We go to the champ now, it's a mortal Hulk Hogan, let's hear what he's got to say. Moments away from the biggest heavyweight title defense for this man ever, Hulk Hogan, you gotta be ready. Well, you know, I hope Pontiac Michigan recovers, man. I'm glad I snuck in early last night, brother. I didn't realize the interstate, the Pontiac Silverdome was in danger. Not the 90,000 plus on the inside. It's the 90,000 plus on the outside of the Silverdome. Those are the ones I'm worried about because when I get my hands on that big nasty giant, when he faces the truth when he feels the wrath of Hulkamania, the day the whole earth is going to shake. What are those 90,000 plus Hulkamaniacs on the outside going to think? I'm not worried about the people at the closed circuit. I'm not worried about the people all around the world. They'll see it. 
But the intensity of Hulkamania, the way it's turned this whole state upside down, the way the whole world's turned upside down, what are they going to think when the giant hits the ground? He feels the wrath of Hulkamania, and the whole world shakes at my feet. We could conceivably blow the roof off this great facility, the Silver Dome. Right now, let's go back to the booth. Well, Hogan is really fired up for this one. Um, know what you're going to do is, or Pythons, see your prayers, take your vitamins. He really means business here, folks. Back in the stadium and there's a bed sheet with a painting of Hogan on it, which looks more like a white genie. Yeah, it's like the white genie from Aladdin. Well, I know he's blue, but it's as if he's just white. It's a bad drawing, alright? But the face does kind of look like Hogan, so there's a little bit of resemblance. Vink introduces the special guest ring announcer here, Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre, when the crowd give him decent enough welcome. Ventura then gives a shout to his two pals in Minneapolis, which Monsoon goes, oh, okay. Ventura then calls him Mr. Basketball, which is quickly corrected by Gorilla. Yukon introduces the timekeeper, host of entertainment tonight, Mary Hart, who also gets a good welcome. Crowd are actually quite polite to the celebrities, considering in WrestleMania 2 when there's so many fucking celebrities in it, it's, the crowds, like, considering that, are quite polite. Mary takes her heels off to get into the ring and they parade around. Yuka now does the introductions and introduces the match. Andre the Giant comes out to mega heat getting pelted with loads of garbage and it's actually heat of the night. He's just standing there waving to the crowd as Brain just stands there looking out to the masses. Yuka actually gives Andre the iconic intro that we've always heard. First, the challenger, accompanied by his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. He hails from Grenoble in the French Alps. He weighs 520 pounds. Andre the Giant. Monsoon says that Andre has been brainwashed here by the brain, which Ventura replies that he thinks it's unfair that in 15 years he was never given a title shot. And see, to actually be honest with you, I'm going to agree with the body. It's a fair, fair comment to make, you know, if he's not been given a title shot in 15 years, I, I, I may, I'm going to have to look into that myself, I don't believe that. I'll believe for a second that he's undefeated in 15 years. In fact, I know he's not been undefeated in 15 years, but if that's the way you put it all, like, so be it. You know, if they're trying to make it an even bigger deal, fair enough. But Monsoon says, well, he never asked or wanted one. And Ventura then just goes, well, he asked, and he's, he wanted one, and now he's got one. Monsoon says the brain actually looks like a waiter here as Andre's still getting pelted as they make their way down the aisle. Yukon introduces the champ and instantly as real American hits, I get goosebumps as I always seem to do anytime I watch Hogan in a WWF pay-per-view. Personally, you know, we've all got our opinions on the Hulk stuff. There's a lot of stuff I don't agree with myself, but there's a lot of stuff, you know, that I love Hogan for. And the main thing that I love about him is this man is wrestling. Like, like a, if, if you remember like when I kind of spoke in the very first episode about like what got me into wrestling and stuff like that and who my early favourites were, Hogan was the first ever superstar that I watched and thought, oh my god, this this is amazing, I want to be like that guy. And there's a lot of us out there that he did that for. So in, in my personal opinion, Hogan is wrestling, you know, he kind of defined, he Wrestling's come a long way since, you know, this, but Hogan kind of brought, is kind of like, if you see him as a kind of middle guy, he brought it from the kind of old, kind of slower style. He was kind of at the front, you know what, front, when I say the front, I don't mean he innovated, I mean he was the guy 
at the time that wrestling went from kind of the old just you know actual wrestling to what what's then classed as a new gen do you know what I mean and for the, the actual era what I'm saying is that Hogan brought he really brought wrestling into the mainstream and you can't argue that whatever he's done personally he's done personally like all of us we'll have to answer to the big man up the stairs one day yeah, Hogan gets the pop of the night, of course, as 93,000 Hulkamaniacs are on their feet for it. Hogan's posing with the ears straight away as he's in the ring, Ventura's saying this is the biggest match in the history of wrestling. Basically, you can say that, Jesse, yep, uh, because Hogan's 6 feet 8 and Andre's about 7 foot 5. Ventura also says that the pressure's really on referee Joey Manella here tonight and he can't go over the size of Andre as both men are facing up to each other as the bell is rung. Andre is totally like ice as the two of them are standing toe-to-toe here, whereas Hogan is like firing himself up, like literally he's like shaking, you know, like, I don't know, Michael J. Fox like shaking, you know what I mean, he's like, he's like, he's firing up, he's ready for this. But Andre shoves him back and Hogan actually takes a few steps back, Tries to step up to shove Andre and barely gets half a step. Hogan blocks a right hand and unleashes right hands of his own. He then goes for an attempt in a slam but he can barely lift Andre up off his feet. Causing him to fall back with the giant on top for the cover for the two count. Now, I say two count. Technical does a botch here folks. Going for a slam. Oh, he almost got him up. Oh, oh he collapsed. One, two. Two count two was that two or was that three? Two count only. Ooh, that was close, Gorilla. Now correct me if I'm wrong here. I heard three being counted. I heard the referee hit the mat three times before I noticed Hogan rolled the shoulder up. And there, there seems to be a pause by Monsoon and Ventura before they actually question, you know, that was two. And it's almost as if like, shit, he counted the three there. Did they see Hogan get his shoulder up? I mean, luckily for us, he did, and immediately the referee's saying it's a two count, which Andre questions whether or not it was two. He's questioning, he says, no, it's three. But Hogan is, um, what's this going? He's crawling away, his back's injured from the slam. But yeah, like I said, botching the night, folks. I swear, I heard the three. Andre was counting for the three, technically, should be the champion, but obviously, that's not what's supposed to happen here. Yes, yeah, so Andre uh, goes to work on booting the back of Hogan. The crowd are absolutely electric here. He drops a big arm down the ch- back of the champion, motioning him up as the brain can be heard screaming, that was free. Andre's using the forearm to the kidney. The crowd are throwing garbage into the ring. Hogan gets back up, but Andre hits him with a knee lift. Hogan's really struggling from that attempted slam, and we get a bit of a grunt from Hogan. With him really selling that he's hurt his back here. Andre's just standing over him as Monsoon claims there's almost a hush over the crowd here, but I'll let you be the judge. There is almost literally a hush here in the Silverdome, Jess. Audrey hits another big slam and then walks right over the top of Hogan like Christ, if if Andre did that to anyone, but you know, your your ribcage was literally just collapsed by the pressure. Because, I mean, the weight of Andre, Jesus, in fact, it would kill you. Yeah, it wouldn't just crush your ribs, it would kill you. There is not really any pace to this match, but it's still getting put over that Andre's just that strong and is unstoppable. 
Audrey picks Hogan up by the tights and whips him into the corner. He then whips him across the corner, hurting the back further. Crowd are really calling on Hogan to fight back with booze ringing out. Some are starting to wonder if Andre is actually going to win here and end Hulkamania. Shoulder block in the corner by Andre, and I can imagine that the force of that would really hurt. I mean, he's not running fast, but still the weight and the force, that, that would pretty hurt. He hits some further shoulder charges, which go right into sh like Hogan's chest. You know, usually shoulder charges are to the gut, but he also he can't even do it, so it's like into the, like the chest. Andre's now just squashing Hogan in the corner, and then which will just backs his ass into him. Andre has a big head, but as Ventura and Monsoon say, Hogan has to get out of that corner, or we're going to have a new champion here tonight. Andre goes for another headbutt, but Hogan ducks and gets out of the way. He's dazed, but he starts to come back with some right hands. Goes off the rope with a right hand, off the rope, elbow to the head. Andre's in the corner, hits some big shots to Andre, and then goes for the 10 spot, bashing his head off the turnbuckle. The crowd really in fire now as the champion ends up running into a size 22 boot. Big shot by Andre, and he walks in the bear hug. And with this move, like I'm, I'm watching it, I'm kind of feeling like... Andre could literally could just like crush you with that to the point that your body would probably split in two. Hogan's starting to fade here, folks, and the crowd are begging him not to give up. Brain at ringside is screaming for the referee to end this and ring the bell. But Andre's keeping the whole locked in tight as Hogan fades further and he's been really worn down. Hogan is reaching out, trying to draw in the strength from the Hulkamaniacs, who are totally with the champion, but he's really fading fast now. And with the bear hug like that, choking a method to it is with every breath, you know, it's like a boa constrictor with every breath, they can get the hold in tighter and tighter and tighter to the point it kind of stops the blood flow through you, causing you to pass out. Referee's now checking the arms up once, it's up twice, but no, Hogan is still with us here, folks, as he starts to fight out the hold. Every right hand he hits is cheered and counted by the crowd as he beats his way out of the bear hug. Hogan shakes his hands actually for one of them, like I actually think he caught Andre pretty stiff and like punching Andre in the head probably would break your own hand right enough. Hogan goes off the ropes, hits a shoulder block but it does nothing. Andre nails a big shot to the floor and basically every time Hogan is coming back with something Andre has got an answer. Andre throws Hogan off the ropes and a big boot sends him to the outside. Both men are now on the outside as Andre comes out, hits a big chop to Hogan. He goes for a headbutt with Hogan standing against the ring post, but Hogan ducks it away and Andre nails the post. Hogan, for some bizarre reason, starts to rip up the mats to expose the concrete. And when I say concrete, it's it's wood. Yeah, the, the, the ring's on wood, it's not concrete, but they try to put over as that. I've no idea what Hogan is thinking of here as he attempts to go for a pile driver. No fucking chance he's hitting this as Andre backdrops him onto the concrete, which we can see from the angle we get as Woods. Both men get back into the ring as Ventura is glad there's no count out because he wants a winner here tonight, folks. Andre sends Hogan into the ropes, Hulkster ducks the boot and comes off the rope with a clothesline and both men go down awkwardly to the canvas. Hogan's got the giant knocked off his feet here, folks, as the crowd pop big time for it. Hogan up, his knee starts fanning himself up, he's hulking up, and I've got goosebumps watching this, and fucking yes, out of nowhere, folks. The slam heard around the world 
executed absolutely perfectly by Hogan. This isn't your Lex Luger on Roku, Yokozuna, which they dispute. It's a hip toss. This is a proper scoop slam. Hogan goes for a light drop. One, two, three, and it's over. The crowd go absolutely ballistic. Ventura is stunned, to be honest with you. He's absolutely stunned at the slam as Hogan is given the belt holding up, thanking God straight away. Yuka gives us the announcement as Hogan lays the belt down and starts the classic Hogan celebration straight away. Absolute great storytelling in this match. Hogan was kept at bay with everything Andre did to him. Every time Hogan came forward with something, Andre just kept knocking him back. It was great, considering that Andre can't really move like much, they did their best to tell a story in this match. The whole idea is that Andre's just that big guy, that unstoppable, that it's going to take something special for Hogan to be and that something special was the scoop slam, which with the tease at the start of the match that no Hogan's not going to be able to get him up and do this, he's going to hurt himself from tactical, just like find that strength, find that adrenaline and do it. It's like, it's no one on the crowd grow ballistic and it's remembered as one of the iconic WrestleMania moments. Uh, so Brain and Andre are leaving him back up there. Brain is absolutely distraught of this whilst Hogan is smug as fuck, dancing in the ring off on his ear to Andre. Hulkamania lives sign in the crowd as Hulkamania is well and truly going wild here tonight, folks. Ventura calls it Egomania, saying he's already given them what they want. He just wants them to get out of the ring, you know, and ends up saying that he might actually have to come out of retirement to win this deal, which Monsoon actually says he would pay to see. Overall, as I said, folks, I actually quite enjoyed this match. Like, no pace, it wasn't technically great, but it was a great WrestleMania main event, I feel. Um, and I think you can technically say it's a, it's a good template for a WrestleMania main event that sends the crowd home happy. So Cardboard's cut out of Hogan in the crowd. Ventura's now saying, yeah, nobody's leaving here, folks. Is Hogan still celebrating thanking God again? On the booth, we can see that Monsoon and Ventura are on their feet watching the champion. Ventura's now saying that he didn't think it could be done, but he did it. And Audrey's 15-year streak is over, according to Monsoon. Hogan leaves up the hill. As you can see him mouthing, I slammed him, motioning the slam as he does so. We finally get a replay of the finish, and wow, what a slam. Uh, absolutely amazing to see it again. That is how you slam a giant, folks. Monsoon and Ventura now summarise our evening with Ventura saying Steamboat stole the title and Andre had Hogan pinned. We're wrapping up now, folks, as Monsoon says that it's only fitting that we close with Aretha Franklin as we get our closing package slideshow with America the Beautiful Plane. And ladies and gentlemen, that is WrestleMania 3. So, we have got some um, facts on the main event itself. So, first one was that Vince McMahon had to actually talk Andre the Giant into doing this match to begin with. Andre was away filming The Princess Bride and Vince had the idea of all of the match kind of in mid-86, but because Andre was kind of pretty much done with his injuries and his health problems, um, Vince had to he flew out to the, the movie set to try and convince him. And this is an actual quote from Vince himself. Right after WrestleMania 2, I flew to England to visit Andre. He was filming The Princess Bride. He was suffering from excruciating back pain and needed surgery. Originally, he wasn't going to have the surgery, but I convinced him to have it and be a part of this one last thing. I told him, you and Hogan will draw the biggest crowd ever for an event like this, and he agreed. And yeah, 
And they did. The, the 93,000 stood, that record stood until Dallas, basically. So it just shows you he was right. During the recuperation from the surgery, Andre actually spent his time at Vince's house. Vince opened his doors and allowed Andre, and you could just imagine him kind of lying on the couch, as like, kind of like Linda and Stephanie are like cutting about. And I can imagine Shane McMahon probably jumping off of like something on top of Andre. Another fact is, I kind of hinted at earlier on, um, before we were talking about the match, Andre isn't actually undefeated going into this. He regularly lost kind of like count out or DQ. So, but it was non kind of, I'm guessing it's mostly non televised. So they decided to just take a retcon it and just build that he was undefeated going into this one. Hogan and Andre actually already had a feud in 1980, and believe it or not, the face heel alignment was actually turned around where Hogan was the, the heel and Andre was the face. Uh, apparently Hogan's heel persona earlier in his career was similar to the Thunderlips character that he actually portrayed in Rocky 3, which is fucking awesome because I loved Thunderlips from Rocky 3. Thunderlips is here in the flesh, baby! What the fuck that's where maybe Adam Cole kinda got the, the baby from. But yeah, so um in terms of after WrestleMania 3, Roddy Piper, um, as we heard earlier on, he was having his retirement match. He went on to film Hell Comes to Frogtown and They Live, which is the role he's most famous for. He will make sporadic appearances in his television before finally returning at WrestleMania 5 for Piper's Pit. And as we all know, he continued to be professionally active in wrestling at various points for more than two decades. The first televised match between Andre and Hogan after this event occurred on February 5th edition of the main event in NBC. Um, it drew a record audience of 33 million viewers, making it the most watched match in North American wrestling history. The angle surrounding this match, which sets up WrestleMania 4, is based around Andre ending Hogan's four-year reign as WWF Champion with the help of a worked screwjob finish involving twin referees Earl and Dave Hebner. This sets up the tournament to crown a new champion at WrestleMania 4, which Hogan and Andre will rematch at. Randy Savage will continue to challenge Steamboat for the Intercontinental title in rematches at house shows across the country. Steamboat will eventually lose the title to Honky Tonk Man and not long after, Savage will make a turn to a babyface and then food himself with Honky Tonk over the title. 20 years later, WrestleMania will return to Detroit where they will be visiting Ford's Field, the new home of the Detroit Lions. And in an homage to WrestleMania 3, Aretha Franklin will also sing the national anthem there. And at that event, Kane scoops the great Cali to try and mimic Hogan Andre. WrestleMania 3 became the highest buy rate of any WrestleMania history before being beaten by WrestleMania 28 where Rock took on Cena. Also in 2007, the WrestleMania 3 DVD was re-released and apparently this DVD includes the Battle Royal from Saturday Night's main event, Hercules 1, and optional pop trivia facts and interviews and matches. If anyone's got this version of it and wants to share anything, any good material or gold, please do get in touch. The DVD I've got of WrestleMania 3 is from the kind of WrestleMania box set, which I bought not long after WrestleMania 21. So it's just basically the standard pay-per-view edition I have at home. In terms of reception, the event itself drew mostly positive reviews. And years after, Savage Steamboat becomes ranked as one of the greatest matches in wrestling history. It's matched the year 1987 and it's been rated so highly in terms of WrestleMania matches as a whole. 
Incidentally, um, Dave Meltzer of Wrestling Reserve Newsletter ranked Hogan Andre's main event as the worst worked match of the year and gave it a negative four stars. In terms of the attendance, that, like I said at the beginning, it's widely disputed that 93,173 actually did attend WrestleMania 3. There's disputes over what the actual figure is and some believe that there's only 78,000 there. The basis of these claims again come from Dave Meltzer, who received information from events promoter Zane Breslov, and that promoters such as Vince were known to regulate inflate figures to make them look better. Whilst the WWE and the Silverdome maintained that that figure was correct, the the debate continues to this day. I mean, even with Dallas by 101,000, they still say, no, there wasn't that there. With Dallas, they actually they do, they do, it's funny, right? Because with Dallas, they're saying no, it wasn't 101,000 there. There's maybe about 93, 94, or 95, or whatever you want to believe there. So even with the inflated figures, Dallas is still without a doubt the biggest WrestleMania ever so far. Unless they build a bigger stadium, you know. Nelson also claimed that the 92 SummerSlam they had at Wembley Stadium did 79,000, which he says, well, that was more than. WrestleMania 3 and that would be what he would believe to be the the actual highest attendance until as I said Dallas broke it in 2016. In terms of highest attendance events officially WWE ranked WrestleMania 3 as the second highest ahead of the 80,000 who attended at WrestleMania 29 at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey and the 80,355 for SummerSlam 92. The Silverdome itself, uh, one thing I'm, I'm kind of trying to start looking now, is just any notable more events they kind of have there. In terms of the Silverdome, they only ever really done kind of house show kind of events before and after. They debuted in July 86 in the Silverdome with a crowd of 5,000 to witness Hogan versus Morocco. The highest crowd they actually drew was in Valentine's Day 1988. 12,000 saw Hogan and Bam Bam Bigelow take on Andre Giant and Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase and the lowest crowd they've got actually recorded is from the 29th of May 1988 when 1,800 people attended a WWE event there which considering this is in a stadium like Christ it's like there's no one there um, the last event they held was on the 26th of June 1988 but yep they had numerous kind of house shows there including obviously Wrestlemania 3 and as I said in earlier in the podcast, the Silver Dome is sadly no longer with us. Couple other things that um we kinda stumble across in terms of WrestleMania 3 is apparently Aretha Franklin was stuck in traffic not that long before the event went live and she literally made it I think it was about half an hour they said it was before she actually turned up. Um so she was literally there and straight out. Apparently me and Gene Oakland said that at the eleventh hour that he would sing the anthem if required. So we nearly got Mean Gene performing on court out of necessity two years after WrestleMania 1. 13 days prior to WrestleMania, Rowdy Roddy Piper had actually electrocuted himself at a house show in the LA Sports Arena. Piper was in cleaning up in the showers and he was chatting away with Harley Race when he slipped in a puddle of water. And as per his recollection, I get this, his fingers went into an empty light bulb socket within the vicinity. Supercharge apparently sent him flying back with several feet and left him nauseous and confused for some time after. Well, he managed to work, you know, here tonight with you know little or no effects. And apparently, he would actually sue the LA Sports Arena for unsafe conditions. The six-man tag 
involving the Bulldogs, the Heart Foundation, apparently was meant to take the pressure off the Dynamite Kid. As we saw at WrestleMania 2, Dynamite Kid took a pretty fucking nasty bump when he was sent from the top rope down onto the concrete floor. He was still suffering from injuries at this point. He'd suffered a horrific back injury in December 86, which apparently was the reason why the titles were switched. And they brought Danny Davis and Team Santana's match to try and prevent the need for Dynamite to throw himself around with reckless abandonment that he came to kind of know about. Also, during the end sequence of the Snake and Honky Tonk match, Jimmy Hart actually injured himself during the Damien sequence of it. Roberts was firmly holding Hart in place while Cooper placed the python on him and it turns out Jimmy Hart's got a legitimate fear of snakes. When Hart frantically started kicking his legs about in the direction of Alice Cooper, it was very real, the fear. And in the course of the torment, he actually strained his neck because Jake Snake had him in a full Nelson at the time, so he actually hurt himself. And uh, lastly, another interesting fact, which there's, there's stories about this everywhere. Apparently, Andre the Giant drank 14 bottles of wine before his match with Hogan. His stories are notorious, like they could be like compared to like Chuck Norris facts, you know. These stories about he once drank 116 12 ounce cans of beer or bottles, whatever it is, in one sitting. So, <laughs> down with 14 bottles of wine, yeah, that's nothing for him. I once went to a wedding where me and my wife, Mrs. Rasselmaniac, had 10 bottles of wine between us. I don't remember much of that night or the day after. I just remember that I do not recommend Burger Kings as hangover cures. Also, actually, I've said lastly, there's 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 a, there's a couple of ones I actually forgot about, uh, and this is actually quite interesting. Apparently, they didn't actually decide who was going to win the main event until the eleventh hour. Vince, he's become you know well known for his tendency to leave decisions last minute or just pull you know a total one eighty eleventh hour. Prime example, WrestleMania 31, um, he decided like half an hour before the main event that Seth Rollins was going to cash in and win the title then and then. Apparently, like I said, he didn't know who was going to win the match and Hogan has actually said that I didn't expect Vince to make up his mind to allow him for hour. Finally, almost 12 o'clock the night before WrestleMania, he came to me and said, I want you to win the match. The only problem was he hadn't discussed it with Andre yet and if Andre had said, I won't let Hogan win, I wouldn't have won. That's all there is to it. So yeah, Imagine if Andre the Giant decided, you know what, no, Hogan isn't going to win, I'm going to win. And he would have kind of forced that Andre would have had to win. Like, it would totally, I mean, the fans would have went home, like, angry, you know, it would have been, it would have had a, a drastic impact on the way kind of wrestling would maybe go the next few years. And it would really change probably the way the next few WrestleManias would go. And uh, speaking of that, you know, if you know, Hogan, if he lost it, lost the title, this is actually the last time that we will see Hulk Hogan successfully defend his WWE title at WrestleMania, believe it or not. Hogan will have several more main events at WrestleMania here, but this is the last time we will see him defend the title, believe it or not. So yeah, so just before we move on to our, our kind of conclusions, uh, in terms of debuts and exits here, um, we kind of covered the debuts as and when they happened. And in terms of final appearances here, King Hong Bundy, we won't see him again till WrestleMania 11. We won't see Johnny Valiant again. The Sheik will be back in a few WrestleManias. Fabius Muller, we won't see her to 16. Uh, Cowboy Bob Walton, we won't see him to 21. Funnily enough, 
there all guys who were at the first Wrestlemania we won't see the Hail E.T. Kid again Little Beaver, Little Togo or Lord Little Brook as for Adrian Adonis sadly as we said he will lose his life um, the year after we won't see Tom Zink either or no more Billy Jack's crap so in terms of our kind of summary section um, match of the night without a doubt it's got to be Savage Steamboat I think we kind of covered the reasons why at the time sign of the night kind of simple but effective I'm going to go with the sign that said kill in terms of botching the night well it's obviously going to be Andres getting counted for free on Hogan breakout star normally it's for up and coming but I'm actually going to kind of give this to the Savage Steamboat match as a notable mention the work that was pinned I know I said I wasn't going to talk about it but I'll say it again um, the work that Savage and Steamboat put in our match is unbelievable and needs to be mentioned you know um, we had a notable turn here tonight as Bruce Beefcake turned face and is now going to become the Barber. So, time in ring versus pay-per-view length. With a pay-per-view length of 3 hours, 4 minutes and 37 seconds, we had a total of in-ring time as 1 hour, 17 minutes and 6 seconds, leaving a difference of 1 hour 47, 31 yeah, it's not it's not that great, is it? No, not a bonus really. Um, if I just have a wee quick look here at the card, I can tell you the longest match we had here was the Steamboat Savage match at 14 minutes 35 seconds, followed by the main event at 12 minutes 1 second, and every match thereafter was less than, you know, kind of 7-8 minutes, you know. So the, the matches themselves didn't really last too long, and to be honest, we didn't get enough ring and ring action to be honest and that leads us to the 10 count one two three four five six seven eight nine ring the bell that's it so taking into account um the venue the production you know the usual stuff i always think about the cards the actual product and what we got in terms of match quality I'm going to give Wrestlemania 3 the 7 count I felt we had a great Wrestlemania here it set the bar for how a Wrestlemania should be how main event should kind of play out story wise and how you can throw in a show stealer to really get people talking to you so I'm quite happy to give Wrestlemania 3 the 7 count and now let's look at our mailbag Postman Pat, Postman Pat, Postman Pat and his black and white cat. Early in the morning, just as day is dawning, he picks up all the post bags in his van. Postman Pat, Postman Pat, Postman Pat and his black and white cat. All the birds are singing, and the day is just He's a really happy man Everybody knows His bright red van All his friends will smile As he waves to greet them Maybe You can never be sure They'll be knock Ring yeah. Tell me you love me so we've got a few comments in here for this edition of the mailbag folks. Um, on Twitter, hashtag WrestleMania3 
or you can just hashtag WrestleMania, the number we're you know, reviewing, or even just WrestleMania in general. From at Dreadbustia, coming out with the initial dial list of the first two WrestleManias with a big spot body slam from the Hulkster on Andre. Our friends on WWE forums.net, Jeffrey fucking Mason, says, wasn't alive yet, but I remember it's been one of the first WrestleManias that I watched. I do actually think there was 93,000 odd there. Seriously, between the hype given this event, the fact that it was arguably the hottest point in wrestling at that point, and seeing attendances from other non-WF events around the same time, I have no much doubt that the actual attendance, as claimed, was accurate. Overall, I loved the event. Even though I saw it over 20 years ago, I went back and I watched all the Manias, no, just a couple of years ago, and this was one of the rougher ones to get through for me. Wrestling from Caller Point, um, compared to the standards of the era, I didn't seem anything like special. It was mostly a spectacle, such as celebrities and enormous crowd, blown off of feuds, rather than a bunch of guys going out and putting out their best performances. Also, Steamboat Savage was a standout, and a pretty good end to the story. Piper Adonis never failed to be entertaining. This being no exception, especially the classic shenanigans post-match, the actions of both men and the additional beefcake were perfect. Highlights were basically the same as above. Bonus to that was Alice Cooper though, just because it's always awesome to see him. Low lights, well, everything else. The boring Haynes Hercules match, then the double countout, the incredibly done thinking with Bundy and the Midgets, the abysmal killer beast Sheik and Volkov match. Actually, there was more bad in this show than there was good. The slam was possibly the most famous moment of all. Wrestling history at the very least within the top five. Impressive feat even if Hogan wasn't the first to slam Andre. I mean, this wasn't even the first time Hogan slammed Andre, but Ventura and Monsoon's reaction, coupled with the electric and enormous crowd going total bananas for this moment, in addition to the storyline they built between the two, and finally, the fact that it was the main event and the biggest and most important wrestling event of the era, and for some time quite after, the slam has every reason to be as big a deal as it was and still is. Wow. Thanks for that, Jeffrey. That was awesome, man. Uh, that was Jeffrey's comment pretty much in full. Jacob Fox, also on WWE Forums Donet, says, well, so I didn't attend it, I remember watching it. I'm not sure how I watched it. I think maybe a monk called playing at a bar and I watched it. I also remember how awe-inspiring it was. I was still at the age when I believed it. the entire thing was real and it was quite overwhelming. I can really relate to that, Jacob, myself. Um, um, as far as, you know, kind of 96, I kind of still believed that WrestleMania was real. I couldn't imagine anyone, not even Hogan, beating Andre the Giant. Also, I watched the Piper's Pit where Hogan got turned on by Andre and was really affected by it. In terms of the crowd, no, I don't think there was 93,000 there. It looked like it, but there's been too many reports of people that work there and employees being in the crowd, and it's just too weird. Was it a good card? Absolutely. I mean, looking back, it might not seem like it, but it was just full of matches between all the guys I was first exposed to wrestling. They fit in a lot of matches, and even the lesser matches seemed exciting. At the time, I was very partial to Roddy Piper. Most of the matches were not that great in retrospect, but it didn't matter because the event story was magnificent. Any standard performances? Well, Steamboat and Savage are the obvious ones. Any highlights for you? At the time, Piper defeated Andre was the main one. Also being a kid at the time, Hogan beating Andre. Also, can have a connection. I was a, real, I was a big Rick Martel fan. I was happy to see him win. Junkyard Dog vs Harley Race was cool too. It was cool because of Junkyard Dog to go ahead and do the bow when he lost the race. But attacking race after was great too. Low lights? Well, King Kong Bundy splashing the midget for one. And what was your thoughts on the slam held the world? I asked him. Well, at the time being 11 years old, it was amazing to me. We kids were led to believe that this had never happened before, so it was monumental and surprising. When I saw it, I just couldn't believe it all. Right at that moment, you knew Hogan would win the match too. Since then, it's had less of an effect when you'd find out that not only was it the first, not the first time Andrew Slim, it wasn't the best one either. All in all, it was the best of the early WrestleMania's I've watched easily a dozen times over. I'll also watch it many more as as a high rewatch factor. That's awesome. Thank you very much for that, Jacob. And lastly, folks, we've got a couple of 
comments we had in on Twitter again. Um, I'd asked, I've been asking people to kind of contact us now and again. Just their favourite WrestleMania moments. That's Paul Kong zero one. My favourite WrestleMania moment: seeing Daniel Bryan beat Triple H and then wrestle again in the show later to win the championship. After months of the build-up, Bryan beaten, cheated time after time. The storytelling alongside the quality of wrestling was flawless. At Richard Wagon thirteen. My favourite WrestleMania moment was when Benoit and Eddie Guerrero celebrated the championship wins at WrestleMania 20. At Louis V. Mann, NWO and DX moment in the Sting Triple H match last year. Yeah, so that about does it folks, that's everything, that's all our conclusions. Um, as ever, you can find us on facebook.com slash WrestleManiaPod and on Twitter, the handle is at WrestleManiaPod. Use the hashtag WrestleMania or WrestleMania4, which will be our next episode. Give us your thoughts, opinions, feelings on WrestleMania as a whole, or our next episode, WrestleMania 4, where we will go to Trump City, sorry, Atlantic City, to the Trump Plaza, sorry, the Convention Centre, to have a tournament. You can also drop us an email, WrestleManiaPodcast.gmail.com. Again, give us your thoughts, feelings, what you just troll me, or whatever, give me a boost, go for that. Happy to always hear from you guys out there. Thank you to the guys who've been in touch. Give them comments, comment on Twitter, you know, on any forums I'm on. Uh, it's always great to hear you guys. Thank you very much for being in touch and being part of this journey. All comments uh, on WrestleMania 4 will be included in Pat Patterson's big mailbag for the next episode. But yeah, that about does it for this episode of the WrestleMania podcast. Thank you so much for listening, sharing, all that. Please stick with us as we look to continuously improve the podcast and hopefully add more and more content and even bonus episodes over time. Our journey to immortality, as I said, will continue as we head to Trumpopolis for WrestleMania 4. I've been your host, John Stoddart, folks, and let me tell you something, bro. I don't think I'm cute. I know I'm not sexy. I've got alright looks. They don't drive girls wild. I've not got moves that really move them, and I certainly don't send chills up and down their spine. I'm just a podcaster. Thanks for listening, folks. See you again soon. Bye-bye. See you soon.